0: It is finally here, the last division in our yearly division by division offseason recap. Uh, This has been a multi-month process, as per usual, each episode being, uh, seems like progressively longer than the other. Uh, And at this point, I think we'd make Quentin Tarantino blush with how long these things get. But uh, I'm excited. We are finally here at the AFC East, the eighth out of eight divisions that we're going over. One of the more interesting divisions, I think, as well, because a lot of these teams are uh, very competitive with one another. It's hard for me to look at any of the top three and think that they are, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else in the division. Even the team that we both think is at the bottom of the division could still probably rip off a few wins from everybody else just because of the raw talent they have. The AFC East, it's, uh, it's fascinating every year, but especially this year but before we get into it buddy ej how you doing and what are you drinking
1: well those two things are related tonight which is pretty cool i'm doing great um i got uh a both a bootleg football listener and a bears over beers listener um named matt who was in the area um helping take care of some family members and reached out and said hey do you have any time And uh, we worked it out over a couple of days, went and um, just prior to this and sat on a nice deck and had a couple of beers, got to know each other. And um, I I picked up the tab and he was sneaky. He knew that was going to happen. He said, hang on, I got to go to my trunk and get something. So for the first time, I think in the history of bootleg, I got the free booze. (laughs) Although it was given to both of us I have it. So, um, and and he is a bootleg listener, and he's been paying attention. So this this should make you fairly jealous. Oh, shut the fuck! What? Ah, <laughs> uh, for those of you listening along on the audio only version, this is a fine bottle of Macallan Twelve Sherry Oak. Oh, god! So all right, he knows. Well us. Well done. Well yeah. done. Big kudos to Matt. A uh, fantastic guy and was super great to talk to. You. Huge fan of the podcast and just wanted to say thanks. So he got ostensibly us some free booze, but it's here at my house. So um when you come up I'll give you some. <laughs>
0: oh man, I sh- I should have brought my bottle of Macallan 12 up here. We could uh we could toast Matt together. All okay. I have is I mean it's still pretty damn good scotch. Monkey
1: shoulder Oh, Monkey Shoulder's good. I like Monkey Shoulder. Which
0: is like I, I don't know. I feel like for people that don't know Scotch, uh, and they ask like, "What kind of Scotch should I get?" One of my first answers is always Monkey Shoulder. It's like hitting right down the fairway in terms of Scotch. Like it's it's a blend, but you get a little bit of the little bit of the smoke, you know, a little bit of the fruit, a little bit of the floral. It's it's like everything that's great about Scotch all rolled up into one. Probably one of my favorite blends. So I'm going to be cracking that open a little bit after I get through my coffee. I'm going to, you know, have my uppers and then my downers. Probably a good mix. (laughs) Um, And I think we got a great order for these teams, too. Uh, We're going to start off with New England, the forgotten superpower, I would say. Uh, They've only been down for a year, and you'd think that they've been down for a decade. People kind of like forgot that this is a very talented roster with the greatest coach of all time and when he's healthy, a very talented quarterback and they just reloaded with a whole bunch of skill position players and their defense is still really nasty. The Patriots are not a bad team. Contrary to what people may think because of 2020, uh, the Patriots are really, really good. Will they be, you know, top of the AFC good. Like they used to be with the greatest quarterback of all time. Eh, I probably not, but they're still at least a threat and a forgotten threat at that. Uh, when we get into their, you know, front office and coaching staff review. It's like kind of the epitome of stability, as you would expect from a dynastic organization. Bill Belichick, GM and head coach going into year 22. Josh McDaniels in his second stint with the organization, just this stint alone, he's already been there for a decade. He's on year 10, but he actually started with the Patriots uh, a year after Bill got there. So for basically two decades, Josh McDaniels has been a fixture there. And then there's no actual defensive coordinator listed. So we reached out to our buddy, Mark Schofield, um, notable Patriots homer, and asked him, you know, if there was going to be a DC, who, who would be the name? Uh, and it's actually Bill Belichick, uh, Bill Belichick's son. Excuse me. Steve Belichick is basically the play caller. And then Gerard Mayo is, I guess you could say like a co-defensive coordinator. He's also the inside linebackers coach. You know, he's he's kind of being groomed for being a future head coach one day, kind of like D'Amico Ryan's uh, over in San Francisco. Like he's he's seen as like one of the bright up and coming defensive coaches in the league. But uh, according to Mark, Steve Belichick is if there was ever going to be a defensive coordinator label for anybody, it's uh, it's the chip off the old block there. So what do you think about this Patriots front office and coaching staff and uh, kind of high level the Patriots as a whole?
1: Yeah, this is as goes Bill Belichick, so go the Patriots, right? Everybody that that works in that organization, he's the GM, he's the coach. It's his way. He's proven that it works. Um, the coaching staff is full of folks that have worked for him for a long time. Uh, in Gerard Mayo's case, played for him. Like it is, it is the Belichick way right and this was the thing with with Brady at the end of his career the Patriots it was like well Tom wants to show he can get it done outside of the Belichick way and you know it's either Belichick's going to step down or Tom's going to leave turns out Tom takes his leave wins another super bowl Patriots have to take a step back because honestly they needed to take a step back financially they didn't have a ton of money if you remember they signed their starting quarterback for uh, less than most backup quarterbacks make late in the off season. This, this was a bargain um, clear the cap year a little bit for the Patriots. Cam got COVID didn't play well. And you're right. Everybody was just ready to be over the Patriots. Patriots <laughs> had won so much for so long. Um, I don't think there was a more universally sort of, we want to see somebody else team in the NFL than the Patriots. So when it happened, everybody was like, ha, there it is. It's gone. Tom's gone. Patriots are gone. I don't have to hear about the Patriots. Uh, I hope they got that out of their system last year because they're going to hear about the Patriots again. Bill Belichick didn't get stupid as a football coach. Uh, there's plenty of talent on that roster, and we're going to talk about a bunch of that, but um, I see a bounce back here, a sort of regression to the mean, the mean being very good. Last year was a down year, so this is a regression up if you want to make sense of that. Um, they're going to be closer to the Patriots, so you remember. Again, are they going to be automatic, you know, automatic winners in the AFC East? No, they're not. The division's gotten better, and they've taken a step back, but they're going to be a lot better than they were last year.
0: Kind of reminds me, you know, one of the other franchises that is, it's, it's like the Baltimore Ravens. Like, they're just never bad. Like, they might have, like, a down year here and there, but there's never, like, sustained bad with the Ravens. And I think it was the year before they took Ronnie Stanley when they had like the sixth overall pick. And I remember when Ronnie Stanley was taken, I was like, if you're going to get a franchise left tackle, get it then because the Baltimore Ravens are never going to be picking that high again. And then lo and behold, they took Lamar like a year or two later wins MVP. They're a juggernaut again. And for the next 10 years, like, yep, they're, they're never going to be bad again. It's, it's, The Patriots are one of those franchises where even when they get knocked down, they don't go all the way to the mat. They're basically just on a knee. Like a down year for them was like seven wins. Like, you know how many franchises out there would kill for a seven win season right now? A a good amount. So I don't know. All this like anti-Patriots frothing at the mouth. It's going to be a while before... I think there's any sort of sustained down period with the new England Patriots, as long as bill Belichick is there and, you know, knowing their luck, Mac Jones is going to be some sort of superhuman quarterback. Cause that's just what happens to them. I don't know. I don't think they're going anywhere. Uh, speaking of Mac Jones though, why don't we get into uh the Patriots draft here? Because I actually really like what they did. We can, we can argue against the Mac Jones pick at 15. Like, in a vacuum, was he the 15th best player in this class? Absolutely not. But considering the quarterback position and how important the quarterback position is, you know Cam is not somebody that we be able to, as much as we love Cam as a player, he's not somebody that you can really trust to be healthy at this point. I, I feel like he hasn't been healthy, healthy in half a decade. You had to go into the year with another option. So even though you can consider it kind of a reach, I still think he's a good prospect. Like, remember, I I had a higher grade on Mac Jones coming out than I had on Tua, and Tua's fine. Like, Tua's, I think Tua's going to be just fine in Miami, but Mac, I felt, was a little bit more accurate. Um, I felt he had a little bit more juice in his arm. Not that he had, like, the kind of arm like Justin Fields or Trey Lance, but it was still adequate. Um, You know, better pocket mobility than what you'd expect. Like, he's a good player. And so I don't really think you can go wrong just taking a good football player at 15th, even if he wasn't the best football player, considering the importance of the position.
1: They can't get hung up again. They they saw what happens last year, right? They, Cam, got sick, wasn't super healthy to start with. I mean, physically, besides COVID, COVID knocked him down. He's said multiple times, hey... It was a pretty heavy shot, and it took me a while to come back. He basically wasn't right for most of the season, and you saw what happened to the Patriots in the games he was truly absent and the games he was there, but not 100%. They're not going to win a lot of games without a decent option at quarterback, and Cam is never going to, quote-unquote, return to form, right? He's not going to be that MVP again. He is not a spring chicken. He's got a lot of tread off the tires. They need to start planning for whatever happens when he's not a Patriot, whether that's next year or the year after. And if Mac Jones is sitting there, I actually like the fit with Mac Jones and the Patriots better than probably two-thirds of the teams in the league because of the system they run. Like, Belichick is not a quarterback that is highly dependent on boot action, right? He is not a quarter. He has not had a quarterback for twenty years that he has run. Right? How many times mm-hmm. did Tom Brady run per year? Like de- is, designed run, <laughs> virtually never.
0: They didn't start no. doing it till Cam started. That was the first time they ran QB power since Jacoby Brissett was in the game for like three weeks.
1: Right. So all the talk about Mac Jones. He's going to San Francisco. They're like Kyle action is a boot action guy. Kyle Kyle Shanahan. Likes to run his quarterback, right? And there's like, Mac Jones is not that guy. How can Mac Jones be the pick in San Francisco? Meanwhile, Bill Belichick sitting in his office going, I got to use for that guy, right? Oh. He fits my system damn near perfectly, right? He's accurate. He's a good decision maker. He does not have the biggest arm, but he does not have a noodle arm, right? And he moves well within the pocket. That sounds really familiar in New England right? That sounds like a tailor-made match for what they've done largely in their offense for the last decade. So I love his fit in New England, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's pretty good in that role. Is he going to be Tom Brady? No. Nobody's Tom Brady. Tom's the only Tom. But can he operate that offense at probably 75 or 80% pretty quickly right now with exactly the guy he is? Yep. He sure can.
0: And as long as he's better than Brian Hoyer, as long as he's better than, uh, God, who is the Auburn kid that they had last year as well. They took him in like third round a couple of years ago who just tanked like it's just, they, they need average. That's all they need. Just give me average. Like again, like Tua, I think is a perfectly fine quarterback, but is Tua better than the 15th or 16th best quarterback in the league? No. But they're, they're so talented. They're down in Miami. They could still win a lot of games with Tua, even if he's like technically an average quarterback. Same thing with the Patriots. They have so much talent and their coaching is so good that as long as Mac Jones isn't in like the bottom quartile of starting quarterbacks, like they had last year after Cam went out, like they're going to be really hard to beat. And so I, I agree with that pick there. Again, they got unlucky that Chicago traded up for Justin Fields. I feel like they, they might have. I don't want to say they were like resting on their loyal, laurels or anything like that, but I feel like once, once Fields got to 11, they really should have got aggressive and they really should have traded up. Maybe they didn't expect Chicago to make that big of a move because, like, Justin Fields with the Patriots, Super Bowl contender immediately. So I, maybe they'll, that'll, that'll haunt them a little bit. We'll see. Um, round two, they got Christian Barmore, one of the better interior defensive linemen, if not the best interior defensive lineman in this class. It's either him or Levi on Ruzurike, Take your pick. Uh, Ronnie Perkins, who was an edge that you and I both really liked getting him in the third round. I thought was a fantastic value. I thought he very well easily could have snuck into the back half of the first round, let alone getting him in the third, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, you know, going back to back Sooners again, big powerful back like 225 230 uh, that could just really wear you down that's very much a Patriots type of running back they love bigger dudes Cam McGrone might have been my favorite pick of the entire class he was one of my favorite linebackers in this whole class I had him like in my top tier of linebacker prospects when you look at the instincts the speed for a, a 230 pound linebacker still being able to shed blocks like him you know, the, the Patriots raved about him coming out of Michigan. Unfortunately, injury, uh, I believe it was an ACL tear, dropped him down to the fifth round. And, you know, medical rechecks, it was kind of a finicky thing with with COVID and everything like that. But uh, Cam McGrone is a phenomenal player. And uh, I think he's going to be in New England for a long, long time. And then uh, Josh Bledsoe, a very athletic safety from Mizzou. He, uh, he's kind of a do-it-all, like strong safety to me. So I'm curious to see how he's going to fit in, because if I was going to project him to any role, it would be the role that Kyle Duggar already plays. But Kyle Duggar is just better at it. So we'll see how many snaps Bledsoe actually gets. But at worst, I think they have a good backup, you know, knock on wood if Duggar ever gets hurt. And then uh, Will Sherman from Colorado and Trey Nixon round out in uh, round six and seven. Uh, I did not get to watch Sherman, but Nixon, very athletic receiver prospect from UCF, like legit speed, short area quickness he's kind of raw but in terms of just athleticism it's seventh round pick take your shot uh so after mac jones hearing all those names what is your reaction to this draft class as a whole
1: it was a really solid class and new england did a very good job of picking guys that fit roles in their team and some teams don't do that as well. I mean, it seems to make perfect sense. It's one of those things that you say, oh, well, that makes... Why doesn't every team do that? (laughs) Uh, Good question. But they fully understand what they need. Barmore is a classic pass defensive interior lineman with a ton of athleticism, plays well going forward, plays well against the run. Um, He's He's going to be a guy that they're going to get the most out of, I really think. Ronnie Perkins is... A player that we love. I'm not sure about how they end up using him because there have been some edge rushers who I've been super excited about that went to New England that just never really ticked the box. Right. So I hope he hits because athletically, he's got all the tools. If you're, if you're ever wondering about his athletic tools, go watch the Texas Tech tape. Like you, you won't ask about his tools again. Um, Ramondre Stevenson, when he got drafted, the first thing I thought of was LeGarrett Blount. Mm, I could see that right big guy but good feet Ramondre Stevens says really good feet for a guy that size moves well in those tight interior spaces even though he's a big guy but yes he is 225 30 pounds he can run you over as well but he's not just a battering ram so I thought again here's here's a player that they're familiar with in the role like good fit because they have the other backs right he's not going to be their their top back right they've They've got that guy. He doesn't even have to be their speed back. They've got that guy too. Right. So he fits a niche in their running back room that, you know, they've had guys kind of always in that role. They had a hole. They get him, you know, in the fourth, midway through the fourth. Very good value. Cam McGrone, they were salivating when Cam McGrone was still there in the fifth because he is, he's such a Patriots pick. Right. He's such a Patriots linebacker. And I guarantee, when he was still there in the fifth, that Mayo was like, "Hey, hey, hey,
0: hey, I yeah. want this
1: one. Give me the, give me the card, give me the card." I, I could guy. do
0: something with that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Bledsoe, super athletic. Um, I think he's really going to be in the special teams mold. Like they got him to be an athlete on special teams, and maybe to be a third safety as a role, right? As a sort of dime safety, um, and he can cover. He can get deep. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, do they play him in that sort of closer to the line, um, run sporting, sort of do everything Duggar role, or do they play him a bit deeper uh, in dime and have him be, you know, maybe one of two deep safeties, which you don't see a ton from them, but I, I could see him working into that role. But as a start, it's an athlete on special teams that can cover ground like crazy. Um, Will Sherman, I I rarely bet against Pat's sixth and fifth sixth and seventh offensive line picks right in those rounds they just they always seem to work right and maybe that was Dante Skarnecki being there forever I don't know they, they always yeah, pick may, guys, maybe a little bit but they <laughs> always pick guys in the fifth sixth seventh round that maybe you haven't heard so much about and sure enough you know you look up three years later because they're a sixth rounder and they're up for a contract extension <laughs> And you're like, man, that guy's really good. I'd take him for my team. Where'd he come from? Oh yeah, he came from Colorado. Oh yeah, I didn't think much of him when he came out, but the Patriots did their thing, and you know he plugged into their system and pop. So, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to badmouth Will Sherman. Is the is the short version of that. Um, and then Trey Nixon, I thought was an intriguing wide receiver. Um, Pats and wide receivers, they haven't done a great job. It's one of the areas where kind of like edge, some of the edges they've got have been really good. Some of the very talented edges they've got have not sort of panned out in New England. Same thing with wide receivers. Um, Both free agents and draft picks, they, they haven't haven't really dialed that one yet, right? They've- well, what's
0: weird is the most successful wide receiver additions that they've had over the last 15 years were all guys that, they didn't have to pay a lot to acquire, whether it was trade, free agency, or draft. Look at Julian Edelman. You look at Amendola. I mean, they they got Randy Moss for dirt cheap in a trade. Uh, yep. Jacoby Myers was like a UDFA, I think. Mm-hmm. They uh, Dion Branch, I think they signed him for like nothing, and he was their number one for a year. Yeah. Every single year, their best players are the ones that they never pay for, and then they go out and they spend a first on like, Dobson or uh, no, Nikhil Harry was the first Aaron Dobson. I think, was a second rounder and they like, we'll see what happens with Nikhil. Supposedly he's having a better camp this year, but you know, Jacoby Myers outplayed him and they spent by nothing far. on him by far. And they yeah. spent nothing on him. So it's, it's just kind of a weird paradox where the less they spend on a guy at the position, the better he ends up being.
1: Well, as a seventh rounder. Then he's got a great shot.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying he's going to be the number one receiver for a decade. Um UDFA, speaking of UDFAs. So uh, this is weird. They yep. have they have one. Like we see all these UDFA classes that are like 15, 16 guys. The New England Patriots, who were not coming off like a very good year. Like the roster needed a lot of turnover. And they signed one UDFA, which was a kicker, Quinn Norton. So, like, maybe they signed more. We cannot find that information anywhere. You go on our lads for their depth chart. He is the only one listed. We cannot find any other UDFAs that were signed other than Quinn Norton, which is the weirdest thing I can remember seeing in terms of a UDFA class in a while.
1: All right. I'm going to go on my mini soapbox. This bugs the shit out of me. (laughs) That they only signed one? Yep. Why is that? This bugs the shit out of me it reeks of arrogance arrogance it is it is absolutely an arrogant stand to take from a personnel standpoint right here's a team that underperformed last year and and Patriots diehards will say yeah but like half the team opted out for COVID yeah a bunch of guys opted out for COVID was it five guys maybe six somewhere around there Yeah, it's like five guys out of a 53-man roster, even if you cut it all the way down, don't count the practice squad. That's 10%. Like, yeah, I'll give you that. And there were some high-profile players in there. Absolutely, I'll give you that. We say this about the draft all the time. We say this about Ryan Pace all the time, right? He trades up and limits the number of picks because he believes that's the guy and that guy's going to hit, right? And then he hits at a fairly normal rate, maybe slightly above average, even for Ryan Pace, but... An average rate is 35, 40%. And so a bunch of those guys don't work out. 50%, 60% of those guys don't work out. Right. And then you're left with nothing. And the way that successful teams refill that gap because free agency costs and UDFAs don't is UDFAs and lots of low round picks, right? And these are the guys that churn through the bottom of the roster. They fill up special teams. You find some gems in there. They become either role players that are down eaters, or if you're really lucky, you're pulling a starter out of the fifth round. That's great. But here's the team that was down, as down as it's been in two decades. decades.
0: Yeah, a long you know?
1: time. And they have a good draft. We just talked about it. But again, I guarantee not all those guys are going to hit, and they know that right? So maybe half of those guys hit, right? And then you're saying, oh, here's this free resource, right? Ah, we're not going to use that. We don't need that, right? We're, we're going to grab a kicker from Michigan. And we already have a kicker. It's not like he's guaranteed to start. Like He's in competition. That's great. Like Specialist, extra leg in camp, competition. Cool. No problem. It's nothing against Quinn Norton. This has nothing to do with who they picked up. It's that a team that needs a bunch of help and needs to reload every year, just like every team does, went, nah, forget it. There's nobody out there that'd be a use to us. <laughs> yeah. What? I,
0: well, especially <laughs> when, when put up against some of the other UDFAs, even just in this division that we're going to talk about uh, later. Like, yeah. It's like, arrogant.
1: I, it's flat out arrogant to say, you're no, you me there's nobody no, out there we want for free.
0: you telling me there's no roster spot for Hamilcar Rashid or Kenny Eboa? <laughs>
1: on that team like uh, yeah it's, like, it's just it's that's why it bugs me I'll hop off my soapbox now but it's just an arrogant personnel stance and it's just it's, it's interesting to me because it contrasts so heavily with
0: their veteran free agency pickups where they had between retentions and signings from other teams they have 26 guys that they signed you know David Andrews they threw 19 million at him uh, they threw $54 million at Matt Judon. They threw $24 million at Jalen Mills. $50 million at Jonu Smith. Hunter Henry got three years, 37 and a half. Nelson Aguilar got $11 million a year. Kendrick Bourne got $5 million a year. Uh, so they they spent big. They brought back Kyle Van for $6 million a year. Like the Raquan McMillan, who unfortunately just tore his ACL, which sucks. Uh, you know, Nick Folk they brought in for 1.6. James White, they signed back again. I, I'm just going through the whole list here. D- Devon Godshaw, I forgot Lawrence Guy. They retained for another four years. Uh, I mean, God, it's it's, it's insane how many, um, how many how many dudes they signed for multi million dollar contracts, but then didn't take advantage of all of these very talented players that we've been talking about all summer long. We highlight the UDFA classes for every single team in the league. And for the vast majority of them, we said, oh man, I really like that guy. I would have taken him, you know, three rounds in. I would have taken, like, Darius Washington was like a, a late day two talent that the Ravens got for nothing. And the Ravens are stacked just as much, if not more so than the Patriots roster wise. They still picked up Darius Washington. You're telling me they didn't, that New England didn't want to pick up a whole bunch of free talent when there was a whole bunch of free talent available. It's just weird. It's weird how they prioritized all of these veteran free agents. And by the way, these are good players that they signed. Like they had a good free agency class. It's just, I don't understand why they didn't augment that with cheap dudes to round out the roster. I, I don't know. It's just a weird yeah. decision And
1: for the, all those folks that say, Oh, they didn't do the UDFA thing because they actually spent big in free agency right? That would be a valid argument if UDFAs costed anything, but they don't. They literally don't count against your cap because they're not in your top 50 players, right? Typically, you're not grabbing UDFAs who are starters, right? You're grabbing UDFAs that are going to fill your practice squad. Maybe a couple of UDFAs make your roster as bottom of the roster guys but they're still not going to count against your cap. So it's not that, yeah. oh, they spent all this money in free agency, so they didn't have any left. Not true. Like they, they could have absolutely afforded them financially. So it's just a super odd, like, mail it in kind of like, ah, oh, we decided we didn't want to do UDFA this year. And it's like... Plus, like what? they're not even strapped for money. They have $13.5 million left. No, like they there. absolutely... I was just trying to sub out that argument of like, oh, they can't afford it. No, they totally can't afford it. One, because UDFAs don't count against your cap most typically. And two, they still have money. So that's not the argument. They just literally chose not to. And when you look at all the talent that, again, we've highlighted all summer long... That was in the UDFA pool, even in a largely reduced overall draft pool. This was one of the smallest overall draft pools of players in many years because of COVID and all the opt-outs and everything else. Guys getting a sixth year of eligibility. It was just one of the overall smallest draft eligible classes. There's tons of guys out there with talent. Don't tell me that there's not some talent that they could have picked out. And they they chose to go after basically zero of them. No, no offense to the kicker from Michigan. Yeah,
0: I don't know. Just a strange off-season for New England. Uh, an overall positive one by the way. I don't want to leave this for like sure. a like a bitter taste in the mouth of Patriots fans like we're shitting on the team. They're a good team. They had a good oh. off-season. I feel like they reloaded and they're absolutely going to be playoff contenders, probably division contenders. Like they're good. It's just we uh we it's if I'm a, a weird Patriots footnote. <laughs> it's a weird footnote and it, it's it's just kind of a, an interesting bitter dessert on the top of what I thought was a very good entree in in the draft and, you know, in their coaching staff and everything like that. It's
1: just odd, but I don't Speaking know. Speaking of things that aren't bitter. Dude, oh, the McAllen treating you good, huh? Oh, man. The sherry cask finish is, if you haven't had it and you're at all interested, get to it. Good stuff. It's, uh, it's It smells great, too. There's
0: a reason why McAllen sells a shitload of bottles of that every single year. And you can say it's all about branding. And it's like, nah, that kind no. of branding isn't as successful without a really good product. And no, they make they is, make a damn good scotch.
1: It's that's beautiful stuff. Like so thanks again to Matt. That's just tremendous stuff.
0: Uh why don't we get the Buffalo here? The uh
1: should we you know, shuffle off? Oh God. Get out. <laughs> Get I'll out. show myself out. That was that was a lot. You, of fun. You've been waiting all
0: show for that, haven't you?
1: All Jesus. summer, actually. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: Oh man. Well, uh we we kind of live in the Twilight Zone now because the Buffalo Bills are the big bad bully on the block in the AFC East. So they are the team to beat for all intents and purposes uh also kind of a picture of stability just like new england when you look at their front office and coaching staff brandon bean year five sean mcdermott year five leslie frazier year five brian dable year four their power structure has been together for a, a pretty long time now and i think that kind of stability has reflected itself in the roster like they they have a an identity that they build to it is toughness it is effort you know they they have their fair share of like just athletic freaks and everything like that but it seems like they don't prioritize in terms of how they build their football team they don't prioritize like just taking a whole bunch of freaky dudes and figuring it out later like it's like they they're like we want to take the team captains the hard workers the smart guys the disciplined players we're going to win with discipline and toughness and then kind of like interspersed a few freaks here and there, like, you know, the Ed Olivers, the Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, I think you can consider a freak. But like the meat of the roster, it's like Micah Hyde, you know, it's it's Tradavius White, who as great as Tradavius White is, like athletically speaking, he was not a very impressive cornerback prospect. He was like a 30, 30th percentile athlete at corner, but he's really smart, he's really disciplined, he's really tough, and that made him an elite player. Those are the kind of traits that Buffalo has built this team around. And I think it's it's been a very successful formula for them.
1: Yeah, and that continuity, they set the course. So we talk about the most successful organizations and what they have, right? And it is a GM that knows what he's doing, a coach that also knows what they're doing, that mesh, that don't fight, Right, They are able to talk about what they need, come to a consensus, resolve their differences and not be like, well, that guy is not either getting me what I need or that guy is not using what I got him the way I thought he should. Right? That's when you start to see a rift and you start to see it affect the on-field performance. Bean and McDermott came in together and you can tell they sat down and said, what do we want to do? You want to do? What do I want to do? Is that the same thing? They probably had most of that vision hashed out when McDermott got hired, but they really sat down and dialed it in and said, What are we looking for? Where are we going to spend? What are we going to prioritize at each spot? Right. And they started out and they said, This is going to take two and a half years. Right. From where we are, this is going to take two and a half years. We're going to get better every year but we're not going to be there for two and a half years. And you can see that they set that plan and it worked. It doesn't always work. Everybody sets that plan. Well, most everybody sets that plan. And it's largely working because of Josh Allen's development, right? Josh Allen's development last year was historic. Like looking at the kind of jump he made from two years ago to last year, there isn't a precedent for it. Like there's no other case you go, oh, Josh is just like, He's not just like anybody. He's just like Josh. There's nobody else like that. But it's not just him. If he'd done that in a vacuum, they wouldn't have gone as far as they did last year. right? It's that they've built all those other pieces around it, again, to that vision. And you can't do that if you're changing coaches, changing GMs, right, changing philosophies between those guys. Nope, they said it. And it's not set it and forget it. It's set it and keep iterating. But... They're on the same path they were four years ago, and it's all coming up for them now.
0: It's, you know, the Deion Dawkinses, the John Felicianos, uh, the Matt Milano's, the Jordan. Matt Poyers. Milano's the
1: one I always think of as like if you need one guy that's almost like Mr. Bill, right? Yeah. It's it's that's what you're talking about. What do they want? They want Matt Milano, right? Yeah. And some people like might say, well, there's better linebackers. That's true, right? Are there better linebackers for the Bills? And we talked about this when he was getting his contract extension, right? And the answer is, no, you can tell they paid him, mm-hmm. right? Because he is what they want, right? There's a, there's a statement that does, says, don't tell me what you want. Show me your budget and I'll tell you what you want, right? Their budget says Matt Milano is exactly the guy they want.
0: And I think it speaks to the culture they built too that the Buffalo Bills are what Matt Milano wants as well. He he did not get as much money from them as he could have gotten right. in a lot of other like you look like uh <laughs> Darius Leonard's getting like 20 million a year. Yeah. Fred Warner's getting like 19 million a year. Mm-hmm. Matt Milano, he just signed uh God, I can't remember what it was, but I think it was like less than 10 million. I got to look up his contract, but he's making mm. pennies compared to this guy. But he, he yeah. knew he knew he was k- taking a pay cut by extending with For Buffalo, sure. but he wanted to be in Buffalo because of the kind and of team they built. That
1: that right there, being a guy that has a ton of experience with Buffalo, did a lot of growing up in Buffalo, my family's from there. All my first cousins were there. My dad was born and raised there. Like Buffalo is a very particular market in the NFL. There are only a couple of other markets that even rival it for just mm. uniqueness is a terrible verb, but for for being of a place that are not like a lot of other places, Green Bay is one of them, right? Buffalo is not a big place. It's a city for sure, but it is not like the other New York teams. It is not like the LA teams. It is not like Atlanta or Dallas or Miami. It's a big, small right? town. Yeah. It is a big, small town, and uh, for a lot of NFL players in the past who've gone there, they've said they've been, quote-unquote, bored. Now, guys that have thrived in Buffalo have typically typically been guys who really enjoy outdoor activities, right? You know, the duck hunters, the fishermen, like those guys love it in Buffalo. People that like big, wide-open spaces, You know, they can get that stuff in Buffalo for a lot cheaper than they can in almost any of those other markets. But for a long time, Buffalo was not a destination, right? They had to pay a lot more to get premium free agents to get there after the drought or in the drought after the Super Bowl years. Now you've got guys looking at it going, huh? So they're the big dogs on the block. New England isn't anymore. Uh, They're winning right they're in the they're in championship games against Kansas City like this is this is a place I can go, I can have professional success, my money can go pretty far, and they've got a culture in the building that I want to be a part of, right, and they're taking less to do it that that right there, that little microcosm of I'm taking less to go to Buffalo, putting those two things together is a testament to being in McDermott
0: I just looked it up. Uh, so Matt Milano's contract runs through 2024. Darius Leonard's contract runs through 2026. The highest cap hit Matt Milano will have over the life. of The contract is $11.7 million. The highest, the highest cap hit that Darius Leonard will have is 23 and a half, literally double. You're telling me that Darius Leonard is twice the linebacker that Matt Milano is. Fuck. No, I'm not. (laughs) Hell no. Like it's, It is one of the
1: best contracts in football and it's not even close. And Bean has done this. Bean has been ahead. He has been a step ahead. So our buddy Brad Spielberger, who works for Pro Football Focus and is the the guy I cede to on almost all contract logic is a huge Bean fan because Bean is one year ahead on everybody, right? All the guys he needs to go get. Drew Davis White, like he's, He's a year ahead. He got Milano for nothing. Like he's a year ahead. He doesn't wait until he's pressed. It's the opposite of what Chicago's done with Allen Robinson, right? Which is wait and wait and then it's not. And then it's going to be franchise tag and then it's going to be the most and more. And he's probably going to leave anyways now. <laughs> Whereas Bean's like, uh, well, Bean and McDermott, right? It's that early identification key piece. We're going to get in before the market goes nuts. We're going to give him a deal. We're going to promise him a role. And people are buying in, right? That doesn't work if the team's not winning. <laughs> right. If you're if you're a perennial seller dweller and you go and go, hey, I want to lock you up early <laughs> for less. People are gonna be like, screw that. I'm going to free agency. Yeah. But it works in Buffalo because of the whole the culture they built within the building, the results they're getting on the field, like it all comes together. And and Bean is doing a masterful job right now.
0: But look at Deion Dawkins. Who Same is a great left tackle. They signed him I think before before Trent Williams got, you know, a massive truckload of money. His highest cap hit he's ever going to get is 13.9, which is Lou again Chris. like that's like 55-60% of Laramie Tunsil's average. Like he's dirt cheap like Josh Allen. They they got him before Baker and before Lamar signed. So I think Josh is like forty-six million or something on average, 45, 46. It sounds like a lot, but just wait for Lamar to sign. He's an MVP. Yeah. Wait for Baker to sign coming off a year that we expect the Browns to make a deep
1: run. Yeah. It's gonna Baker be dirt cheap. Baker was the happiest guy ever when Josh Allen oh, yeah. signed. He's gonna get he 50 was, million a year. Yeah, uh, he was like, mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. God, yeah. Brandon Bean, man, he just he Quiet really knows.
0: Really knows what he's doing. Yeah. If you um, talk about
1: GM of the year candidates, he is not the first. He is not the third. He is not probably even the fifth name off people's lips. That's wrong. He yeah. should be. He's, he's a top
0: five GM in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and speaking of GMs, why don't we talk about uh, what he did in the draft? Now, I will say, I was not a fan of every single pick here. But the reverence that we give Brandon Bean is that we kind of give him the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's doing. But I will say uh, Greg Rousseau at pick 30, Boogie Basham in round two. Like I like Boogie Basham as a player, but does it strike you as odd that when you look at their depth chart, so they have AJ Epinesa who they took in the second round last year, Boogie who they took, Rousseau, um, Mario at Ad- Like they have basically the same defensive end, like four times on their roster. It's like, we like bigger dudes that set a good edge that have inside, outside versatility. The only, I guess you can call them like smaller, speedier, bendier guys is Jerry Hughes. And Jerry Hughes is kind of getting up there in years.
1: I was going to say, who is not a spring chicken, not a
0: spring chicken, but like, it's, it's just interesting how, again, we talked about, they build to an identity. It's not necessarily necessarily athleticism. It's, size discipline and toughness and they figure out the rest like they they, like the roast the rousseau pick and the Basham pick in particular i was like okay what's this gonna mean for epinesa like are they just all gonna play 30 percent of the snaps because they're the same dude
1: well i think rousseau is really interesting because as you were going through your sort of opening soliloquy about (laughs) toughness and they don't take a ton of athletic freaks and whatever i mean that the book on rousseau is holy cow what a what a nuts athletic profile right in terms of his length I mean he's he's huge right he's yeah he just this- he's not quick or fluid at all though no you know I, no but he's he's you know athletically you look at what he can do now he doesn't do it on the field that's the the hit that you know he doesn't do it on the field consistently is what I should say that's the hit that both you and I had scouting him is. You look at him like stand up and lock somebody out with those massive arms, and you're like, okay, this, you know, there's potential for all of this to work. And you know, he looks like he looks like a basketball center, right? He's mm-hmm. he's like that big. But yeah, it doesn't <laughs> it's not all the pieces working together. So all like the pieces are all there and you see them sort of independently. And when they do come together, one of the games I scouted, Lewis Riddick was doing the call. Mm. And, you know, they the narrative was that Russo was the guy. And so when he made a play, it was, whoa, look at what Russo did. But as you watch the whole tape, not the highlights, that's the secret, right? You were like, wow, so a lot of plays. Uh, okay, he got stuffed on his first move. No, he stopped. No, he's on the outside. He jumped. That's nice. Um, you know, but... It he didn't have the consistent level of impact that either of the other two guys coming out of Miami off the edge this year, I thought did. So Rousseau to me was a bit of a okay.
0: (laughs) And you know, you see what's interesting. What's interesting about those two other guys you mentioned, though, is they weren't on the team with Rousseau in 2019, they were both brand new to the Miami roster in 2020 as transfers. Well, technically, uh, Phillips was a transfer out of retirement, I guess is the best way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it was interesting how Rousseau's value, I felt, was really high before the season started because he was seen as like the guy on the Miami defensive line. And, oh my God, what are the Hurricanes going to do without Greg Rousseau? And then all of a sudden Phillips comes in and is better. And then I it was interesting how I saw Rousseau's value kind of taper off throughout the season once everybody else realized, like, damn, the other two defensive ends that they just brought in just for this year ended up being better than this dude so it's like where does that leave us with with greg rousseau's value and i felt like you know if if the draft took place took took place last august you know he would have been like a top 10 pick because everybody was super high on him and all of a sudden we get to the actual draft and he goes at 30 and even that felt a little bit high to me because just kind of when you're comparing him to the other two hurricanes ends you're like man he's not even he's not even top two on his own team, technically.
1: Yeah, it reminded me a little bit, and Buffalo has done this with high picks, so the only way I, well, kind of how I justified it in my head is it reminds me of the Tremaine Edmonds pick. Mm. Right? Tremaine Edmonds had all the skill in the world, but when you watched his tape in college, it was it was boom or bust, right? If he If he guessed right, he blew the world up. If he didn't, he was... 10 yards out of position because he was so fast and he didn't realize that, oops, that was a fake, right? And that's what he's had to work against. And he has, he's gotten better. But when they took him up high, it was it was all about the potential, right? It's like, look at what happens when it works. And Rousseau is a little bit the same way. If you look at the rushes where Rousseau puts it together, you're like, oh boy, that's going to be tough to stop for just about anybody. But it doesn't happen all the time. So they're... I think they're believing they can coax that out of him on a regular basis, and that's why they prioritized him up high in the draft.
0: And what's interesting is, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, who I had a monster grade on coming out, he's still the second-best linebacker on his team right now. And I kind of feel like that might happen to Rousseau as well because I kind of thought Boogie Basham was a better prospect, and they ended up getting him one round later out awake. Like when, when you look at Boogie, I think he has the same inside outside versatility, but he's quicker. He's more fluid. He's more explosive. He doesn't have the length or the power. I'll give you that. But I think in terms of total package tools wise, I would not be shocked if Boogie ends up, you know, kind of being
1: that dude. Yeah. Not even tools wise for me, I think his tools are good. I like him as a player. I think fit-wise, right, in terms of what they're looking for and the role in the system, I think Basham is way closer than Rousseau, right, right now. Like, where he is right now in his development, like, I think he is a plug-and-play guy for Buffalo, right, I, like, in that system. Like, I think that is a match-match. Like, they went, we need this. Wow, that's 95% of what we need. We're going to just click him in right here. Whereas Rousseau's like, he could be, 110% of what we need, but he's not right now. So let's get him and see if we can get him there. Also, by the way, interesting note about Epinesa, who was
0: like that yeah. profile last year. <laughs> Apparently, he lost like a lot of weight this offseason. He's yeah. like somewhere between like 255 and 260. Yeah. And he just looks like this, like this big, lanky, uh-huh. you know, faster edge. Like it's almost like they're, they're trying to convert this big power rusher into being like a little, a new Jerry Hughes for them. Fascinated to see how that goes. I have not got to see any like training camp video from him to see like how he's moving at this new weight. So I'm gonna be watching him if he playing if he's playing in preseason, that is. Um, because seeing somebody that big slim down to kind of basically change up a play style, like just fascinates me. I can't wait to see how that works out for him.
1: He reminds me of Bradley Soule, who was a tackle for the Bears, and then they said, Hey, you want to try and extend your career, you want to play tight end? And, and he didn't, I mean Oftentimes, offensive linemen lose quite a bit of weight in the off season, and then they start gaining it back to get ready for training camp. Well, he just kept losing, and it was the year—the year he did that was the year I went to Bears camp, and we showed up, and I was like, "Who the hell is that?" And somebody said Brad soul. and I was like, "He weighed like two sixty, and he'd weighed like three fifteen the year before, and he looked like a power forward," and I was like like a three and I was like <laughs> are you shitting me like that's really so they're like yeah they're gonna put him at tight end and I was like I was fascinated I watched him for the whole week I was at camp because I was just like holy crap um and then they did him dirty by like pulling him up to the active roster and dropping him off like 50 times throughout the season um but no it was a fascinating transformation and he moved so much differently right obviously he dropped like almost 50 pounds right and It'll be really interesting because yeah, we saw uh, OTA footage of Epinesa, and it was like, "What? Who's th-? No.
0: Yeah, I, I've yeah. I've seen pictures of it, and he it's 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 like a jarring image from just yeah. what I remember from AJ last year and at Iowa, where he's just this big yoked up dude, and now he's like this kind of gangly. spindly you know we should ask
1: true we should reach out to our our rock pile report guys and see what they've heard about how that's going that experience yeah
0: because i haven't gotten to keep up too much with bill's camp so far this year but it's they're kind of just that juggernaut in the background where it's like yeah i'm assuming they're gonna be good they're fine you know (laughs) i haven't got got to dug too much into them uh speaking of size by the way uh spencer brown (laughs) their third round pick (laughs) from northern iowa talk about freaks of nature uh it's he, his RAS score was unreal. He was like one of the 10 most athletic, like in terms of total package offensive tackle prospects in the last two decades. In terms of size, you know, six, seven, six, eight, like 320, 330, somewhere jumps out the gym, super light on his feet. And I remember watching, um, watching his tape because somehow I have more Northern Iowa tape than I do Clemson tape this year. Uh, but I was able to watch a lot of Spencer Brown and the whole like dancing bear trope absolutely uh, applies here. Like he looks like an actual bear on roller skates. It's insane how quick he is for how big he is.
1: Yeah. So he was a 10 for those of you that are familiar with the RAS scale. It's from zero to 10. Um, uh, It's color coded green indicates and basically an elite score uh, for all the boxes there are basically 12 boxes uh, with different numbers things like 10 yard split, shuttle vertical, his height, his weight. So he's 6'8", 311 benched 29 reps uh 31 and a half inch vertical jump uh, broad jump of just over nine feet well, nine nine so uh, almost 10 feet uh, under a five second 40. Uh, a 1.69 10 yard split, which is the one that he's <gasps> looking at. Yeah. Um, his shuttle was a four four and his three cone was <laughs> under seven. <laughs> that's a that's point96. So of all the boxes, one is yellow and it's the 311 pounds for weight because as a relative weight for offensive tackles, that was a hair low, not not red, just yellow. Every other box is green, right? Every Ugh. other box indicates a, a score, you know, in the top 10. It's ridiculous. 34, almost 35 inch arms, 34.75. His hands are 10 3. Um, this is just a massive human being that can really move in every direction. So, what, what know,
0: was his three cone again?
1: <laughs> it was under seven. It was six point nine six.
0: That's almost equivalent to Joey Bosa.
1: Yeah, it's nine point nine nine on the scale for athletic tackles. That's or absurd. For, for, uh, yeah, offensive tackles. There are there, there are guys. I swear that have played receiver that are not under seven. No, I'm, DK
0: Metcalf was like seven three.
1: Or yeah. something crazy like something. I mean, yeah. not, so know, DK's when you was see bad, DK but. Metcalf move, who is a very big wide receiver, he's like eighty pounds less than Spencer Brown, and Spencer Brown ran the three cone faster than him. Like Spencer Brown is just a just a wild athlete. Like I don't care what he does, I don't care what sport he's in. He's a wild athlete. A guy at that size that moves like that is just. Rare is is a really good word. Now, does it all come together when he plays tackle? Nah, not yet. <laughs> not yet. You know, that's the thing. Yet. You're, you're gambling. If you're talking about tools, there is not a tool that he doesn't have in his, there's not a club he doesn't have in his bag. He's got arm length, hand size, uh, strength, speed, vertical, power in his legs. Like it's it's all there. If somebody can put that together, he can be that kind of guy that plays you know, presumably left tackle for you for six or seven years.
0: Well, the good thing is they don't need him to, because I got Dion Dawkins for dirt cheap.
1: So they're never letting him go. And that's why that's a perfect fit, right? Is he can slot in. He doesn't have to play this year. If he went to a team that said, oh, we're going to take you. We're going to take you up high. And that means you have to play this year. It would be rough. Like that is a rough way to learn. But if he gets a year to figure it out, to get pro coaching, to go against NFL athletes, to get used to the speed, because that's the other thing is he came from Northern Iowa, right? His level of competition was not as high as a guy coming from Clemson or Alabama or Texas. So, you know, he has to figure that out, but he has time. They don't have to play him.
0: God, what a, what a pick. What a pick. Might have been my favorite pick in this whole class. Um, they did not have any fourth rounders by the way, so I'm going to skip straight to rounds five through seven, they had kind of a trio of sixth rounders packaged in between one fifth and one seventh rounder. Tommy Doyle, tackle from Miami of Ohio. Marquez Stevenson, the speedster out of Houston. As if they didn't have enough speed on the receiving core already. Demar Hamlin, a uh, safety out of Pittsburgh. Um, not like crazy athletic freak. Not necessarily uh, like Paris Ford in terms of where you look at his pro day and you're like, Ugh. but you know, kind of right down the pipe. You know, average athlete, better tape than athleticism, in my opinion. Uh, Rashad Wild Goose, the corner out of Wisconsin, who I did not get to watch. He was one of the Wisconsin guys that I didn't get around to. Um, Jim Leonard has a, a pretty sizable pipeline coming out at this point from Wisconsin, but unfortunately, I did not get to him. And then Jack Anderson from Texas Tech, one of the most prolific pass-protecting interior offensive lineman and all of college football for the last four years in four straight years as a starter he never gave up more than 10 pressures total in an entire season and uh, never gave up more than three sacks in one season either just very very rock solid consistent uh, pass protector for texas tech uh, which if you play for texas tech you have to be like you you have to be able to pass protect because that's what they love to do
1: because you get sixty shots a game, at it. you better <laughs> you get be good. Sixty
0: shots a game. Uh, so overall, again, this this kind of draft was like a microcosm of how they build their team. You know, physical, tough, discipline. Physical, tough, discipline. Sprinkling crazy athlete with Spencer Brown, and then you're going back to physical, tough, discipline. Physical, tough, discipline. Uh, it's 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 very much a Bills type draft, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if they get at least two starters out of this.
1: Yeah, I really like Hamlin. I, I like him as a player, and I like him even more because he went to Buffalo. Like, Buffalo, he he's, again, the mold of what Buffalo wants in their other safety, right? And I think he is that all-arounder that can come up and support the run in the alley. He can go pretty deep. Is he a true single high? Go deep with your speedster safety? No, he doesn't have the tools for that. But can he cover a lot of guys? He can. He's quite fluid. Um, He'll hit. He's physical. He's got good size, not great size, good size, again, right down the middle, like you said. But I thought uh, for a safety, he had really good tape. He made more plays than Paris Ford um, on tape, and he was in the right place more often, right? Uh, And by that, a lot of times I mean not the wrong place because a safety, the last thing you want is a safety that misses, gambles, or is in the wrong place a lot because that's going to mean a lot of touchdowns. Right. If you're the last line, there's nobody behind you and you blow it, you know, your way, you ran yourself out of the play, you're going to see that. So I think Hamlin is steady and better than a sixth round pick. Again, middle of the sixth round, you know, 28 picks down uh, with all the comp picks. That's about the middle of the sixth round. I think he's better than that. So we'll see.
0: Uh, Looking at their UDFAs, they brought in. Um, they got Cyrus, uh, Tutelle from Fresno state, who I did not get to look at Tariq Thompson, the safety out of San Diego state, who you and I both like Trey Walker also from, uh, San Jose state, not San Diego state, the wide receiver, Nick McLeod from Notre Dame, Quentin Morris from Bowling green. And then Elijah Griffin was the corner that I wanted to point out on this list. Uh, I actually really like Elijah Griffin, really physical press corner, uh, Speed won't blow you away, but the Bills don't necessarily seem to care about having, you know, super fast, hyper athletic corners. They really care more about physicality and discipline, again, with how much zone they play. Will you be in the right place at the right time? Uh, You know, how do you how do you communicate in the secondary? You know, uh, they they really place a premium more on that so that they know that you can actually like fit in with the unit and communicate efficiently and be in the right spot. Rather than just raw athleticism, uh, but that being said, I do think that he is uh, a very intriguing press corner prospect, which they need because, to be honest, Levi Wallace was was struggling there the last couple years. Uh, Dane Jackson was somebody who I, I felt, uh, you know, could have some success in that kind of role, you know, playing that that press corner role in the backside, but getting as many guys as humanly possible to compete for that role I I think is is prudent for them because Levi Wallace is very up and down he'll have a good game one week and then a terrible game the next week Um, and I just feel like his consistency isn't where they need it to be so bringing in a guy like Elijah Griffin who I think has a very decent shot at making the team I'm I'm all aboard for that for that move
1: Yeah. Two other guys in that class I thought were good. Quentin Morris was the tight end out of Bowling Green. And I I say tight end lightly because he was a wide receiver the year before that. He's one of those big bodied wide receivers. They said, Hey, why don't you put on about 15 pounds and go up to that 235, 240 be a wide receiver that has more mobility. And he has some flashy highlights on his tape. He has some really good looks. Um, he has to work on some things, but he brings them that sort of speed and big play element uh, at the tight end that they don't necessarily have right now. They have, you know, Dawson Knox and um, they are getting good play out of him. He doesn't, again, the UDFA doesn't have to come in and play right away and replace that, but he brings them sort of another arrow in the quiver that they can work into their offense. um, And one that if he develops, I think Josh Allen would really like. And the other one's Tariq Thompson, who you mentioned, he's a, Flashy fast safety out of San Diego State and boy he can hit so he is a perfect special teams candidate Um, I think he's the kind of guy that could work himself into a three safety rotation down the line But right now he better learn special teams and he can make an absolute impact both literal and figurative there Um, That's his path to the team. So I thought he was good enough. I had a draftable grade on him I definitely would have taken him in the sixth or seventh round he makes it to EDFA and and Brandon Bean and his staff are smart enough to snap him up and say, Hey, come on in and see if you can burn up some snaps on special teams for us.
0: In terms of uh veteran free agency additions, they, they didn't really go out and, you know, get any major names here. Probably their biggest signing quote unquote was Emmanuel Sanders for one year, 6 million. Again, bringing in a, a veteran presence. Um, a pro is pro Emmanuel Sanders. Like, Legendary work ethic. Great guy to have around, uh, you know, young players like Gabe Davis and all them. Uh, Perfect role model for them. They got Jacob Hollister, the tight end from Seattle. Uh, They re-signed Isaiah McKenzie. They brought in Mitchell Trubisky to be the new backup for Josh Allen, Uh, which, you know, only one year, two and a half million for a backup quarterback. That's probably below average pay at this point to be by far. yeah, Yeah. So that's not a bad deal. Like say what you want about Mitch Trubisky, like he's worth two and a half million. Um, you know Jamil Douglas they brought over from Tennessee. FA O'Bada on a one year deal from Carolina. You know they re signed Levi Wallace, uh, who's going to be fighting for his job in camp, in my opinion. And then Tywan Jones, uh, they re signed, who's a special teams demon. You don't get a you don't get a job as a thirty three year old running back unless you're really good on special teams, and Tywan Jones is very good on special teams. So again, it's a, it's a, it's a bills kind of free agency class. Like let's fill in gaps. Let's bring in role players. Um, You know, let's help out the young guys with a, with like an Emmanuel Sanders type signing. Overall, I, I really like what they did in the off season. You know, was it the flashiest draft? No. Uh, Was it the best draft? Not even in this division. I don't even think it was the best draft, but. I, I don't think that they went backwards this off season. And if anything, I think they just strengthened their strengths and Buffalo is locked and loaded for another Super Bowl run, potentially.
1: Yeah, I think the, the stability of the coaching staff can't be overrated. Everybody thought Dable was going to get a head coaching spot. And then there were going to be a lot of questions about, hey, will Josh Allen be able to continue his high level of play? Brian Dable is one of the best play callers going in the league right now he can keep a defense off balance like nobody's business he does it as well as anybody going in the nfl right now if you look at how he strings his game plans together when he pulls the trigger how he sets people up and then comes back to a look that looks like that and gives them something else um they will just there's kind of no way he should still be in buffalo this year but he is so that's probably the biggest deal um I can't believe you're not going to talk about Bobby Hart.
0: Do I have to?
1: (laughs) No, of course not. But he was there and it was there for the taking. So I figured I would bring that up. Um, Jacob Hollister, another interesting guy. The Bills are one of those teams that um, is a little bit like Seattle. And Hollister came from Seattle and that they have a bunch of guys at the tight end position, not the sort of one speedster and the one big red Zone threat and the one big blocker they they have a bunch of these guys that they sort of feel like they can rotate in um but overall I'm with you they didn't uh they didn't break the bank for anybody they stayed the course they drafted to their plan uh, I don't feel like their losses I feel like they at least offset their losses and and reloaded with some good pieces uh I don't see any reason to predict big regression in Buffalo
0: All right, EJ, let's get uh, into the Jets here, kind of the meat and potatoes of this episode, because I, I find the Jets absolutely fascinating. Like I love talking Patriots. I love talking Bills. Uh, They're both great teams. But what the Jets have done to kind of faceless facelift this organization, excuse me, in just 12 months is kind of remarkable. Like going back, this time last year, you know, you had a struggling young quarterback. You had Adam Gase, who might have been the, wor- the worst head coach in the league. Like, is it that controversial to say that? That he was out of, if you're ranking all 32, he would have been 32. Uh, you know, the the roster was not in a great place. They had some young talent we liked, but it just, it, there wasn't really much to be excited about. Fast forward to this year. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out with Sam, but... You still were able to kind of get some assets for him, theoretically. Um, you know, you got Zach Wilson, another young, talented quarterback with a lot of arm talent, a lot of excitement there. Uh, you still have a great defensive line that only got better in free agency. You know, you, you got even more offensive line talent. You bring in a whole bunch more skill position guys. And not to mention, you get a highly respected coach like Robert Sala. Uh, you get Mike LaFleur. who who got poached from San Francisco to be the new offensive coordinator and run what many expect to basically be the the Kyle Shanahan offense, or at least a version of it. You get Jeff Olbrook, one of, in my opinion, the best linebacker coaches in the league, highly respected linebacker coach to be your DC. You know, the, the kind of one year turnaround here from where we were last August to where we are now, it just blows my mind. Like I am so excited to watch the jets play now probably more excited I've been to watch the jets since uh oh I don't know a decade ago
1: yeah as an overall team you're not wrong there's there were always exciting elements but they were buried under a bunch of junk and a lot of that (laughs) junk was the coach last year like Gase Gase is one of those guys that um, got a little shine on him in the coaching ranks and it lasted a long time, a lot longer than it probably should have. And I think about longtime Jets fans, uh, on, on one end of the spectrum, Rich Eisen, right? One of the most famous Jets fans out there, lifelong Jets fan. And then, you know, my buddy Kirk growing up who was saddled with it hereditarily, like his dad was a Jets fan and he was a Jets fan, even in the mid eighties when the giants were rolling through the Super bowl and everything else, like he was like, yeah, I'm a Jets fan. He's been a Jets fan his entire life. I think about those kind of people and think, man, they got to be so happy, right? (laughs) They've got a GM in Joe Douglas that looks like he knows what he's doing. He's made a bunch of smart moves. You get Robert Sala, who just had glowing reviews through the entire process. Everybody knew he was going to be a head coach sooner rather than later. And he's done nothing to turn that perception around since his arrival in New York. New York is a bit of a crucible, right? It's, it's the media town. It's the home of the NFL in terms of league offices. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of pressure on, on the New York city teams. Robert saw to me looks the same, right? He's just (laughs) as relaxed. He's just as poised. He's just as thoughtful. Um, We'll see how that holds up during the season, but that steady as approach is not something that Jets have benefited from in a long time. Um, Couldn't be more excited about Ulbrich as a defensive coordinator. LeFleur comes with great pedigree, right? He's got plenty of experience in the league. He's got family in the league um, that have all been pretty successful. And talent-wise, you and I were excited about some of the talent that was there last year, but it was really hard to see it, right? You had to sit through a lot to look at the one guy that was making plays or the three guys that were making plays and they've they've kept those guys largely and then added to it in some what I think is kind of spectacular ways and there's still going to be growing pains I want to temper Jets fans expectations a little bit it's not Super Bowl or bust this year and I don't think anybody believes that in the building is it what they're playing for absolutely it's what everybody's playing for but if you ask them all what do you think is your realistic expectation for this year I don't think anybody in that building would be like, we're going to the Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about this year. That's not where they were starting. This isn't a team that was one player away or one play away from going to the championship game or anything else. This was a team that was bouncing off the bottom for a while. They know it's going to be a multi-year reclamation project, but the way it's going, multi-year might be two.
0: (laughs) Yeah, at at most. like I I would not be surprised if... If they are at five hundred ish this year, just from raw talent on the roster and a kind of proven offensive system at this point, like I, well, I guess it's tough to say because you can't really go five hundred anymore because it's seventeen no. game season. <laughs> I always forget about that. <laughs>
1: Mathematically, you can't, which
0: is super annoying because we can't we can't just peg yeah, them. It's dude, like, oh, that's an eight and eight encouraging no thing, bounce back seasons. Like no, no such like,
1: thing is eight and eight anymore. But by the so, way, did I don't you know here. Uh, Zach Wilson's answer at the podium today about uh-huh. okay, so a reporter asked him a pretty good question, like, Hey, you know, I saw you take a chance with this ball. Could you tell me a little bit about that? And basically, his answer was fantastic. His answer was, Yeah, like that's why we practice. So, in that look, I'm gonna try and fit that in there. And you know, blank got his hand on it. And so the next time. That's how I learn what I can get away with, right? The (laughs) next time I get that look, I'm probably going to check it down because I thought I could fit it in there and I did, but he got a hand on it. So that's not going to happen every time. If I see that look again, I'm going to check the ball down. That's why we practice. So I'm going to push it a little bit more. And then as we get closer to the season, it's my job To start to neck that down because protecting the ball is the primary job of the quarterback. Like it was just a dead solid perfect answer from a young quarterback about this is how I'm figuring things out in a very logical progression. I loved it. It was amazing.
0: And what people don't realize is like when a quarterback enters the NFL, A, they're learning new levels of speed because DBs are just faster in the NFL. They just are And not only that, but the hash marks are different. So the space that a quarterback is used to throwing into from the hash marks, remember a lot of snaps are taken either left half or or left hash or right hash. Not every throw is just going to be in the middle of the field where the spacing is even. The, The hashes are at a different distance in the NFL. So the safeties don't have to cover as much ground on these far hash throws that's what makes them so dangerous if you're trying to hit a boundary ball to the far side of the field like it's an extra like four or five yards that a safety doesn't have to travel and by the way that safety you're going against is going to be like Ashton Davis who even if he's like the third safety on the Jets he was still one of the best safeties in all of college football and a better safety than you ever played against at BYU and he's like the guy you practice against So it is a learning experience. And I absolutely respect that answer because until you experience that different level of speed where you have like a three-time All-American track athlete as the dude you're practicing against, oh, and by the way, he's not spaced out as much as he was in college because of the different way the field's painted. You don't understand it until you throw it and get picked. That's why Patrick Mahomes threw a lot of picks in practice as a rookie. Like Andy Reid, literally told him is like you have freedom to throw whatever you want to throw and get picked as many times as you want to get picked because that's how you learn same thing for Zach Wilson so I agree that's a perfect answer and all all these picks that that people you know have been dogging Wilson for and like the green and white scrimmage that happened this week like I tre- I tweeted out and I was like being sarcastic but I also kind of meant it of like all this is telling me is the Jets defensive line is really good because they were harassing him every single snap and people are saying like, Oh, the Jets offensive line is terrible again. It's like, well, why can't we just look at, you know, Franklin Myers and and Carl Lawson and be like, man, maybe the Jets defensive line is really good. Like why does it always have to be negative? Why can't it just be positive for once?
1: Well, (laughs) you know, the answer for that with chess fans, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) They're not well conditioned to be on one side of the, uh, very, uh, shiny side or the very <laughs> negative side um, and and hopefully this season there's going to be more on that on the bright and sunny side. Uh, I think there is you think there is remains to be seen but let's let's talk about their draft class because both you and I liked their draft class uh, as they got into it and their first pick was Elijah Vera Tucker the guard from USC there's a question about whether he was going to be a guard or a tackle. This is a guy that's elite at guard I think he would be fine at tackle. And I mean, by fine, I mean, fine in the NFL. And Brandon Thorne, when he was on, agreed with us, but he said, you want this guy at guard. This is one of those guys at guard that you would go get. This is before the Jets had drafted him. And the Jets apparently saw the same thing, draft him in the first round at 14. And then I've been waiting for this all summer too. In round two, they get (laughs) Elijah Moore, the wide receiver from Mississippi. If you watch Elijah Moore tape, you watch him carving up safeties in college l- routinely. He's continued to do the same thing through camp. This looks like an amazing pick. And um, A.J. Brown came out today. A.J. Brown, his former college teammate at Old Miss and said he would bet one of his game checks, one of A.J. Brown's game checks, that Elijah Moore is offensive rookie of the year.
0: Did you ever see that video of AJ Brown? Because they're like best friends. Like they like live together. And AJ Brown was in tears when Elijah Moore got drafted. And he said that Elijah Moore, who was a couple years behind him, was teaching him things when they were in college. And that was like when Elijah was a true freshman, you know, and and AJ Brown like literally says, like, Elijah Moore helped me be a better receiver because he's that damn good. And uh, if I recall, if I recall correctly, he was one of your 10 gems, I think, right? He like was. our, our first draft episode, like of the year. Now yeah. I, I think he, you brought him up.
1: There was no way for me not to watch him. You remember, because I sent you a DM the night I did my workup on Elijah Moore. And I was like, you need to watch this. And you were like, I haven't <laughs> gotten to him. I was like, no, 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 I don't care. like you need to watch this and you watch it and you were like holy shit and i was like yep we're just gonna say that through the whole process so moore hasn't slowed down in camp at all he looks amazing he is gonna be a major part of that offense because there's no way that he can't be um he is that good um they didn't have a third round pick Then they go to the fourth round, top of the fourth round, they get Michael Carter, the quote-unquote other back from UNC with Javante Williams, uh, who was not that much of the other back at North Carolina. When he came in, there was very little drop-off. Very different player than Javante Williams, but incredibly effective. Um, Good between the tackles, an excellent receiver, makes people miss. A little bit on the smaller side, but still runs very tough. And so far through camp, he's been taking number one running back reps. I think he could stick there during the season. And I know that wasn't the thought when he was drafted in the fourth, especially at his size. Um, But what do you think about Michael Carter being RB one for the jets?
0: You know, it's tough to say because I think at least at first, it's going to be a a pretty even split between Tevin Coleman and Michael Carter, because Tevin Coleman has played in this offense for a long time time he knows it inside and out um that's why they brought tevin coleman over is because uh you know michael floor has a lot of familiar familiarity with him and tevin has a lot of familiarity with michael floor um but i do think that when you consider michael carter's talent like i i was trying to come up with like a comparison for him this week and i was like you know he's like if devonta freeman ran 4-4 hmm. and i was like that's like, it, it's, it's very similar to me. Like, Friedman had a little bit better feet, but in terms of, like, that compact build that has better power than you think because he's kind of low to the ground, he's hard to tackle because of that, but when he gets up to, like, full stride and he really opens it up, he's got a gear that Devonta never had. And so I think when you, when you look at that kind of skill set, it seems tailor-made for this wide zone run scheme. Not to mention when you're throwing in Elijah Moore on the jet sweeps to try to pull the defense the other way and create these huge cutback lanes where Carter's feet, which are very quick, can then come into play on those cutback lanes. Like this offense is built for him. And I agree, even though he's a fourth round pick, he went well behind his former teammate, Javante Williams. Uh, I think that once, or at least as he's getting more and more snaps pried away from Tevin Coleman... By like the second half of the season, he's going to be virtually impossible to ignore. I think he's going to be one of the more productive rookie running backs in the entire NFL because he is so perfect for what this offense
1: needs. Yeah, and we talked about Zach Wilson at the top saying, oh, if I if I see that look again, I'm going to check it down. Yeah, the guy he's going to be checking it down to is Michael Carter. And that's going to happen a lot for a rookie quarterback, right? If he's smart enough, he's he's going to take some downfield shots. But when he doesn't or you know, when his head coach says, no matter what you do, don't throw a pick right here because it's a three-point game and we can't afford it, when he checks it down, some of those are going to be big plays because Michael Carter has that ability. And that's going to build that confidence that a checkdown's not surrender. A checkdown's not such a bad thing because I threw that last checkdown to Michael and he ended up getting 18 yards. So I think I'll do that a couple more times, right? I could see that connection developing very, very quickly, and and Michael Carter being uh, not just a safety valve, but kind of a a new quarterback's best friend. So. They go on in round five. They get Jamie and Sherwood, the safety from Auburn, who is an absolute hammer. And I think that's probably an, an Ulbrich pick, right? He said, Yo. I got a use for that guy. I know exactly how to do or how to how to employ what that well, guy does best. You say safety. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a yeah. dimebacker. Yeah.
0: Him and Hamza Nasroudin, who they got one round later in the sixth, like they're going to basically be that same role to me of safety linebacker a little bit of both they're both going to play special teams either way i think they're they're going to be going more forward than backward on average
1: yeah with sherwood you would hope so he has some ability going backward but his big plays are going forward fast and just obliterating people um so custom made for jeff Ulbrich because he knows he did that as a player and he knows how to employ it um, not to confuse the issue, or absolutely to confuse the issue, they decided to draft Michael Carter again. This is Michael <laughs> Carter II, the, the cornerback from Duke. Um, had some really good athletic testing. Uh, they get him in round five, pick 10, 154 overall. And then the next pick was the corner that really caught our eye. Um, we didn't even realize he was still on the board at the time during our draft live stream. Still in round five, pick 31, Jason Pinnick the cornerback from Pittsburgh. Talk to me about Pinnick cuz you and I watched him together.
0: Yeah, cuz we were watching uh we did a group watch on the pit uh edge rushers. It was Rashad Weaver and then uh god, who's the other kid who went to the senior bowl cuz they they sent both Pat- guys to the senior bowl. Patrick Patrick Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it's been a few months since the draft, so I've already Started to push these guys out of my brain. If I
1: get the first name and you get the second name, we're all set. (laughs)
0: Uh, And so we were watching them, and all of a sudden we start seeing this corner just make play after play after play. And we're like, "Who the hell is that dude?" And it's like, "Is that guy draft eligible?" So we look up the number, we see his name, and and you know this was after the the Pit Pro Day, and so we looked up his numbers. And again, we we it was kind of funny because like for the next two games, we barely even watched Rashad (laughs) Weaver. We were just watching this corner. Uh, and, and we looked at his measurements. So he's six foot 205. He's got four, four speed high four, four, but that's enough. Uh, 39 and a half inch vert. So incredible, you know, short area explosiveness, which absolutely does show up on tape. It's hard to run away from him. Uh, he's got length. He's got 32 and a half inch arms, which is long for a corner a Four one, uh, shuttle. Like he's He's pretty tailor made for that boundary corner spot where it's all about length, explosiveness, you know, being able to play routes from the top down, squeeze guys into the boundaries. I I, like when you look at him on tape, he played that way in college anyway. But now, when you look at how he's going to fit into that Jets defense, which needs guys like that, I thought it was a phenomenal pick. I think it's a perfect fit for what they need at corner and getting that kind of guy in round five who. I mean, I'm not guaranteeing it, but I'm saying he has a decent chance of one day becoming a starter. If you can get a starter in the fifth round at like a high value position like corner, that's a hell of a pick.
1: Yeah, the reason that people shied away from Pinnick, I think, is because his technique is not perfect. I mean, we saw him run himself out of a bunch of plays, but we also saw him run himself right back in with recovery speed that is ridiculous. Yeah. We were, you know, it'd be on a route, he'd take a what's called a step in the bucket for cornerback, which is half a wrong step when a when a basically a receiver breaks across your face. And we we're like, oh no. And then he'd get a hand on the ball from a trailing position that he started a yard, yard and a half behind. And he did it over and over again. So he'll He'll make the wrong step, but he's got this crazy athleticism, length and recovery speed to make up for it. So if they start cleaning up some of those technique mishaps and he just starts applying all that athleticism in in a better technique profile, sky's the limit for him. He is he can be athletically one of the top corners in the league. Uh, we'll have to see if the technique catches up. Uh, you already talked about Homs and the big safety uh, ostensibly out of Florida state, but I really do think he's going to morph more into that dimebacker role where he's that maybe heavy third safety. Maybe just, they, they might just say, Hey, let's add a few pounds to him and we're going to make him an outside linebacker straight up. There were people that talked about that even before he was drafted after he was drafted. I think in Albert's defense, that's, yeah, I don't well, know. I mean, I'd, better put better in perspective money. yeah
0: put it in perspective he played at the same weight at safety that Darius Leonard played at Mike a couple of years ago mm-hmm.
1: at 215 it's not that crazy not at all not at all and he plays that way right there are certain safeties that have that size that don't play that way we've we've seen those guys those guys that are 220 225 at safety but they're really two hand touch they're you know they'd rather try and run deep um you know, they don't really want to fill the alley at full speed. Oh, not Hamza. He can he could do that. He's more than willing to put a hat in there. Um, uh, they two more picks in round six. Uh, Brandon Eccles, the cornerback for Kentucky. If you're keeping track, yes, that is three corners. So you can kind of see where the Jets were leaning in terms of need. And then uh the last pick, round six, pick 23, Jonathan Marshall, DT out of Arkansas, Ooh. who is one of the guys that stood out yeah. to me, he was on our um, Balls of Clay episode, I believe, because he, his athletic profile at his size <laughs> and his flash plays are something that'll make you stop and rewind it. Yeah, the, his
0: penetration ability, like just off the first step. Again, it's not always pretty because his hands don't always go in the right spot. His feet don't always go in the right spot. But when it's right, it is right. You know, he's... I'm really excited to see uh, how they mold him because he doesn't really need to get thrown to the fire right away. They already have like a whole bunch of interior defensive linemen that are already great penetrators. You look at Quinn and Williams who's one of the very best in the league. Um, You know, they still have uh, John Franklin Myers, one of the most underrated football players at any position in the league. Who's just been tearing up camp and his pressure pressure per snap rate last year was like just insane. John Franklin Myers, like he's, He's not going anywhere. But if they can mold Jonathan Marshall behind those guys, and you have a rotation with those three, and then you know you still got Fadakasi, who's one of the best nose tackles in the league, you got Carl Lawson, who's one of the best edge rushers in the league, and I will die on that hill every single day, um, you and me both. <laughs> I mean, it's Vinny Curry, Sheldon Rankins, it's it's pretty crazy the the stable they're building here. It's no wonder why the Jets' defensive line rotation has been up Zach Wilson's ass every single practice. Like, they are good. They're really good.
1: And they really took that Miami model, right? I guarantee they looked at what a team in their division were doing and said they brought them in waves, right? They got them from all over. They don't need them to all play 40 or 50 snaps a game. There's guys in there that can play 20, right? And we can rotate them, and we can keep them fresh. We can bring them in as, as pairs or trios based on the situation and just run them and all those guys i'm thinking about rankins when he came out thinking about jonathan marshall right they don't have to be all-arounders they don't want them necessarily to serve that role right now it's like you're gonna do the penetrating thing right you're gonna hammer in take up some space this other guy's gonna loop or you know we're going to play off hey you're the defensive tackle we don't need you to penetrate we need you to take up two guys and then we're going to penetrate from two sides and bring one of these other guys from a light linebacker spot it, their defense is going to be super fun to watch i mean the the
0: the amount of different combinations that they can throw at people is it's hard to prepare for very hard to prepare for um why don't we talk about their udfa hall which i think we've highlighted like three times this summer, but we're going to do it one more time because it was really good. Uh, Kenny Aboa, who, why he went undrafted, I will never know because a tight end with that kind of size and speed profile shouldn't go undrafted, but he did. Um, They got Hamilcar Rashid from Oregon state, uh, an edge rusher who uh, also we had pretty favorable, like early day three ish grades on like fourth, fifth round seemed Totally comfortable with me. He somehow slid out of the seventh. Um, Tristan Hodge from BYU, who's going to be ideally a swing guard for them. They don't necessarily need him to start, but again, if you can get um, a very steady, eddy, depth play like that as a UDFA, I consider that a great value. Uh, Jordan Peters from Auburn, because as if Auburn doesn't have enough DBs going in the NFL, there's another one. Isaiah Dunn, another Oregon Stater. Parker Ferguson. Very athletic tackle from Air Force. Air Force weirdly had a lot of dudes go into the NFL this year, both drafted and undrafted. Like, this is the most players that I think I've seen go from Air Force into the league in one season in a long time.
1: Yeah, Parker Ferguson is one to keep an eye on. Not this year. Uh, Definite practice squad candidate if he doesn't make the 53, which I think is probably likely. I haven't been keeping up with Jets camp, so I don't know if the reports are one way or another, but he's got a bunch of tools. Brandon Thorne had him on his, like, to watch list, right, of I like the traits, and if he ends up in a good system, gets a little time, this is a guy that could develop. Um, And Hamilcar Rashid was a guy that I love, super versatile. They're going to employ him all over. He was standing up. He had his hand down as a straight-up four rusher off the line. They played him in the middle, like straight-up Mike, just a really versatile guy rushed covered good length just a guy that can kind of do it all in that sort of um van noy model right Mm. if we're staying within division uh i think he could develop into that kind of player and has a very good chance of doing that under a couple of good defensive minds in his in his coaching staff so great pickup for them and yeboa yeboa was a dagger i no idea why you didn't get drafted because not only is he tall and rangy runs wild routes like a wide receiver they played him in like every position at old miss from absolutely split out wide in the slot tight slot in line fullback as a puller um almost in the use check role like they yeah, I was going to say,
0: we saw him get some jet sweeps every now and then. Like it's, They was, moved him
1: fun. everywhere. That is one of the most experienced players in terms of alignment in all of college football, and he's got skills. He's not slow. He's got good length. He's got really good hands. His routes could use work, but most college players coming out, playing primarily against zone and going into man need work. Uh, the, the value period... The fact he doesn't get drafted, I don't get it. Does he make the team? I think he makes the 53. If not, strong practice squad candidate to get called up. Well,
0: you look at the other tight ends they've got. It's you know, Chris Herndon, who's probably gonna be the starter, I would imagine. Uh, it's Ryan Griffin, Tyler Croft, Wesco. Like it's not like there's a whole bunch of world beaters there that he's gotta get by. He's got a like,
1: path to playing time. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Uh, in terms of veteran free agents that they brought in uh, a whole lot of retentions um but also kind of filling in some gaps here and there Carl Lawson was definitely the big one getting him for 15 million a year like compared to some of the recent contracts that have been signed just this last month at other positions like you're getting a a, a really really good like pro Bowl caliber edge rusher for 15 million a year in this current market is phenomenal value
1: in this economy in this economy Uh,
0: um like vinnie curry for 1.3 like i i know he's really on the the downside of his career age-wise but again 1.3 for a rotational end that that's been around forever knows what he's doing great technician strong against the run like that's a that's a great signing um sheldon rankin's bringing him over from new orleans on a two-year deal again you're getting him for like five and a half per year LaMarcus Joyner. LaMarcus Joyner, 31 already. I I remember when Joyner was drafted. Because he was on, uh, if I remember correctly, he was on that national championship Florida State team with Jameis, I think. And then I think he went in the NFL the next year. He's already in his 30s. God, I'm old. Uh, You know, him coming over on a... a Don't start with me. (laughs) Hey, man, I'm going through the existential crisis now. (laughs) You're like 20 years ahead of me on that. Like, I... Just saying, like, I, I can actually call these guys kids now, unironically, which is weird to me. Uh, Dan Feeney brought over from the Chargers on a on a year deal. Jared Davis on a one-year deal. Uh, Tevin Coleman, obviously, you know, bringing him in because of the familiarity with the offense. And they really didn't have much in the way of running back before the draft. I'm sure they didn't expect Michael Carter to be there in the fourth round. But so Tevin Coleman was kind of their insurance policy. It's going to work out. Uh Morgan Moses, who right now is in the fight of his life for the starting spot. Uh, he and Fant, like I like even on the depth chart with like first team, it's like a George Fant slash Morgan. Like they don't even they don't have a starter at right tackle right now because they are like deep in a position battle right now. I'm very curious to see who wins that job. Because going into the year, I would have said Morgan Moses all the way, uh, but apparently not so much.
1: It's a tremendous quote-unquote problem to have, right? That you've got Morgan Moses in the building compared to what you had in previous years, and he might not start. Morgan Moses might be your quote-unquote swing tackle. Just say that a couple of times. That's uh, for a guy that's a fan of a team like Chicago right now that rolled out sort of three-and-a-half also rands and white hair as a starting lineup in practice today. The idea of having Morgan Moses and not playing him is a pure fantasy. It's, uh, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches. Uh, a, a
0: Jets roster coming off a number two overall selection. And we're talking about this kind of depth on the roster. That's how much Joe Douglas has done in the last 12 months. So, you know, golf claps to him. Uh, overall, just looking at this Jets offseason, I'm, I'm jacked, man. Like, I'm so excited to watch this team. Obviously, there's going to be growing pains first-time head coach, rookie quarterback, a whole bunch of new faces. It's going to take time to gel, but I'll be damned if I'm, if I'm not really excited to watch every single Jets game this season.
1: Yeah, all the things you mentioned about keeping expectations reasonable, time to gel, trying to figure out, you know, what players work best in what roles, it's all there, but You look at the wide receiver core. We didn't even talk about Corey Davis and Keelan Cole, like Corey Davis up here. You're right. I forgot about them. Yeah. And Keelan Cole. Like, again, you're saying that you've got Mims and more, and I know there's been up and down reports about Mims. Don't worry about that quite yet. Just the fact that, you know, you've got all those guys and you're surrounding a young quarterback with, again, we talked about the offensive line depth, which is where you start so he doesn't get killed doesn't have to run for his life. And then look, yeah, you might not have world beaters at tight end, but you've got at least two, I would say three solid uh, options at running back. Now you've got four or five guys in the mix for, you know, really three spots at wide receiver. And some of them are going to play and play well. Like this is not a team where you're kind of peeking and poking and going, Oh, well that one guy they have at wide receiver two is okay. And, Herndon's Herndon, but they can't do anything with the line, so it's kind of like, nope, not anymore. Solid offensive line, plenty of receiving options. Right, you know, are they all amazing? Do they maybe not have their alpha yet? I think they probably do and more, but we'll see. Um, several good options to run the ball, so injuries aren't going to be a thing. It's not like, oh, if Michael Carter turns an ankle, well, there goes the Jets season. Not even close. This is going to be a team you said at the top that's going to steal some wins. Absolutely, they're going to they're going to pick up some wins that they wouldn't have or shouldn't have in previous years. They're going to get those this year. Are they going to be over five hundred? I don't know. I wouldn't bet against them. Are they going to win the division? I highly doubt it in the first year. Uh, it'd be a hell of a story. I don't think it's likely, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be super exciting. Like they're going to play an exciting brand of football on both sides of the ball. It's not one of those teams where you're going to kind of watch half and then go get a snack. When the defense comes on the field, they've got good players on both sides of the ball. It's going to be compelling football. and It's been a while since you could say that about the jets.
0: Yeah, I'm excited, man. Uh, September 12th week one against the Panthers Two very young, very intriguing teams that uh, I mean, a lot of people are going to be excited about a whole bunch of, you know, high profile matchups that week consider me parking my ass in front of the TV and watching Jets Panthers because that's going to be a great game. Uh, Let's get into Miami here to wrap up this division. Uh, I mean, what more can we say about Chris Greer? He's done a phenomenal job going into year six. Brian Flores in year three. I mean, the turnaround that he's executed at head coach has been nothing short of amazing. When you look at, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that (laughs) they were getting bombed on by the Ravens in week one of 2019 and and you know they were losing by like 30 a game for the first month of the season we're like oh my god this might be the worst team in nfl history yeah next thing you know they kind of pick it up in the back half of flores first year and then they go into year two and you know they get two uh coming off injury and they were very competitive for a playoff spot really the entire year uh you know they dropped a couple winnable games that cost them that playoff spot but by no means were they an easy out. I mean, they they gave even the Chiefs all they could handle. So I think Flores has done a great job. Danny Crossman, uh, also in year three, is the assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. George Godsey and Eric Studsville, might be Studsville, are co-offensive coordinators. Studsville is the run game coordinator. Godsey is the passing game coordinator. And then uh, Josh Boyer, longtime Patriots DB coach uh, and, you know, kind of assistant extraordinaire under Belichick there in new England followed Flores to Miami and he's in year three with the organization as the defensive coordinator so it is the uh it is the Brian Flores defense but you know Boyer also being a DB coach by trade I mean it's it's uh it's it's there everybody that runs that defense that has their hands involved in play calling there is very Belichick and it's not just Flores it's also Boyer too
1: yeah we talked about Brandon Bean not being in anybody's top five list for GM. Chris Greer, I, I would venture that most fans outside of Miami can't name the GM
0: of like, the Dolphins, yeah. yeah.
1: Probably Chris not. Greer is maybe the quietest GM of all 32. He does not like the spotlight, doesn't give a ton of interviews. He's I, I wouldn't call him reclusive, it's just not really his thing he's done a tremendous job remaking this roster. You talked about the 2019 season. That was the tank year, right? That was the open tank year. So the fact that they lost games for the first half was like kind of completely expected. But Greer took over a roster that was not very imposing. And if you look at it now, it has very few holes. We'll go through it. But Chris Greer is even quieter (laughs) and Probably should be ranked. I, I would say similarly, definitely in the top ten. I think mm, it's debatable, but like top ten, yeah. top twelve. He's in that marketplace, and the average NFL fan can't name him because he's he's the anti Jerry Jones, right? He's he's not out for the spotlight. He just wants to do his job, build a very capable roster of NFL football players, and he's done that flores is incredibly well respected i would say everybody's bought in there isn't you don't hear those things like well i don't know we'll see if he wins this year it's like nope we're with coach flow we got it like we're on track we showed what we could do last year if we get a little bit of more consistent quarterbacking this year because fitzpatrick did a great job while he was there but the book on fitzpatrick is up and down Tua so far has had a very good camp. If he can come in and play again, steady football, he doesn't need to play hero ball for this team. We're gonna see this tandem of Greer and Flores rewarded with a really good result. And let's talk about some of these picks that Greer
0: made. Uh, because I mean this is this is one of the best drafts in the league, folks. Like I we've had a lot of praise for a lot of drafts. Um, I would put this one up against the Jets, and I would put it up against any other class for any other team in the entirety of the NFL. I'll, I'll just read it off real quick. Jalen Waddle, round one, insane uh, in terms of his impact on the offense. Like from what I've heard out of Dolphins camp, they're basically building the passing game around Jalen Waddell already. And we're like two weeks into camp. They, they, they know what they have there. He is, he's that dude. Uh, Jalen Phillips, pick 18. Absolutely should not have been there at pick 18 best pass rusher in the draft. Only reason he fell is because of a combination of like injury concerns. And there was the kind of weird retirement and transfer situation, everything like that. But in terms of like pure talent and ability, I I'd, I'd put him up against, you know, like Bradley Chubb, Khalil Mack, like all, all these guys as prospects that were all like bona fide top 10 picks. I'd put Jalen Phillips up against up against them as prospects any day. Uh, Javon Holland great center fielding free safety type uh, reminded me a lot of Devin McCourty uh, which makes sense that he's going to be playing in this system for two coaches that coached Devin McCourty for a decade Liam Eichenberg, uh, their other second-round pick rock-solid uh, tackle prospect not the most athletically gifted guy but in terms of um, you know just being a good technician you know understanding how to use leverage, he has a great base, like he's he very rarely crosses his skis. Had a really interesting battle with Rashad Weaver, which is when we first saw Pinock. Uh, we were watching uh Weaver versus Eichenberg, just these two you know, underwhelming athletes, but great technicians and kind of how they were working against each other. Fascinating battle. So, I'm, I'm pretty big fan of Eichenberg there at that kind of value. Uh, Hunter Long, I actually never followed up on this, he just got carted off. A mm-hmm. uh, couple days ago, I don't know if we've if we've heard what that injury actually was. Um, so I hope it wasn't too serious. But uh, I, when I watched Hunter Long at Boston College, ball skills really stuck out to me. Like he and Gasicki, like together as tight ends, are uh, at least would have been a pair of just you know throw it up in the the vague zip code that they're in and they'll go get it. Like that was Hunter Long's specialty was was just throw me jump balls and I'll go get them. Uh and then Larnell Coleman, the OT from Massachusetts. I did not get a chance to watch him, unfortunately, but I did watch uh Jared Dokes from Cincinnati pass protector extraordinaire. Uh whenever Miles Gaskin is not on the field on third downs, Dokes will be on the field on third downs because that dude can protect the quarterback. So, overall, from top to bottom, absolutely love this draft. They got weapons and protection for Tua. They got some really fun toys for the defense to use and already great defense to, to get even better. Like they, uh, <laughs> they nailed it, man. Like the dolphins were already a great team. And, and now I think they're going to be a phenomenal team.
1: Yeah. This one was sort of the tail of two drafts for me. I wasn't, I wasn't as hot top to bottom on it, but the top is as hot as it gets. That's the, if you want the good side of the coin or the bright side of the coin. Yeah. They had two first round picks, doesn't mean they spend well I mean a lot of teams don't right Jalen Waddle yes (laughs) he is gonna be the centerpiece of the Miami passing game and with good reason if he kicks anything in on special teams because he has ability there um, I would say it would be this year and probably no year after that because they're never (laughs) gonna risk him on special teams after what he can provide in their offense Jalen Phillips tremendous if I was going for a pure pass rusher in this draft well best edge player in this draft. Phillips is there because he has a combination of both. It's not that he's just a pass rusher. He's big enough and strong enough to play the run. Uh, He could do it as well, but had the best combination of hands, moves, timing, power, speed, and using all those things together. We saw guys with equal tools, but not an equal ability to unify those into pass rushes. Um, and Javon Hahn, I was a massive fan of. He picked off Andy Dalton today and mixed practice with the Bears. Um, super fast, basically a safety with corner-like skills, very much like Richie Grant. Um, Eichenberg is where it sort of deviates for me. Uh, again, you got to think, yes, their fourth pick, but it's top of the second round. And you think about players that are available there. Eichenberg wasn't my favorite. Does that mean Eichenberg's a bad player? Or he's not going to be a good player for the Dolphins? No, it doesn't means I was like, "Mm, at round two, pick 10, you have some other options. Um, Hunter Long wasn't my favorite because he was less mobile, but he is exactly as you build him to be. He is that tower that is, uh, in my mind, a little bit lumbering, but he has a very big frame, and he will make some catches. He is not what I would call spry, um, but he is reliable, and he's a big dude. He's big and strong, um, and they wanted that larnell coleman didn't watch jared dokes i did i like dokes i think he again gives them something in their stable that they don't necessarily have with gaskin and ahmed uh who are the guys that are getting the most carries through camp and therefore has a chance to stick and look as a seventh round running back you better play some special teams but you also better have something else you do pretty well Pass protection is a nice one to have but i think short yardage is a place where he might do well we'll see but it's really going to be about special teams And the occasional pass protection piece. So I thought the top was as strong as you can get. You might say, Oh, they're all top picks. True, but they absolutely ran the slate on the first three. The other players aren't bad picks, they just weren't my favorite at where they were picked. So most drafts are judged off the strength of the top, right? And I can see all three of those guys: Waddle, Phillips, and Holland playing well, playing early being starters and if you pull three I would say mid to high level starters out of one draft it's a good draft I don't care about the rest of it if they get anything else from the other guys if Eichenberg is a long time swing tackle backup for them it's still a successful draft if Waddle, Phillips and Holland are playing at a high level and it already looks like they're all on a hot start so great job by Greer
0: I it's very rare to get three pro bowlers in one draft like Extremely rare, I think they did here. And I know that's <laughs> that's that's me calling my shot, but I I would be surprised if all three of these guys, the top Waddle, Phillips, and Holland, don't make at least one Pro Bowl throughout their career. Like they're all that gifted. And I could see it happening soon, like within the first three years of their career, because they're all just really. Really polished, like the. You don't really have to teach them much. Like they, they're not just balls of clay. Like the combination of polished technical ability and then just raw, earth-shattering talent. Man, I, I cannot believe that they started their draft that way.
1: I cannot believe they got yeah, that lucky. You're, you're right. They didn't gamble on anybody in the top three. Right. There are no gambles there. Like all three of those guys are proven commodities at a very high level. And extremely high level. And that's that's rare. I don't care if you're picking twice in the first round and, and again twice in the second round. To come out with, you know, three guys that are for the most part plug and play. Yeah, they have to get used to NFL speed. So does everybody. Yeah, they have to get used to NFL power. Like Waddle has nfl speed right top nfl <laughs> speed like he's he's going to be faster he was faster than everybody he faced in college he's going to be faster than most of the guys he faces in the pros that's not going to be the adjustment for him it's going to be the amount of space he has to work in um but he's crazy talented is he going to make a pro bowl even in a very crowded wide receiver field in the nfl oh for sure phillips eh, you know he certainly can. It depends on his role in the defense. Again, at that position, it's largely dependent on stats. So, how many times does he cause a sack to happen, or how many times does he get a sack? I'd say more of the former than the latter. Um, and Holland, it's he has the talent to be in a Pro Bowl, absolutely. And again, with safeties, it's hit and miss. We've seen it with like Eddie Jackson, right? Eddie Jackson, one year, you know, five turnovers. The next year like one turnover and, and mm. so it's well, sort of feast or famine. One year, Vic Fangio using him correctly.
0: Mm. Another year, a coach who shall not be named, maybe not using him correctly. Totally agree. So <laughs> I, I think it's
1: almost in descending order, but I don't disagree that all those guys have Pro Bowl potential easily. Um, I could see a guy like Waddle, if he stays healthy, being not only pro bowl but being in the mix for all pro in four or five years because yeah the way they're already pivoting their offense to highlight and feature a rookie that's not typical in the nfl and this isn't some fly-by-night staff that just came from college and they were like he was great at alabama we're gonna make him our number one these are experienced professional coaches and they're still saying this guy's good enough He's going to be our 1A option on just about every play he's in. Then we'll look at the other stuff because if you get the ball in his hands, good things are going to happen. And he's torching that secondary. Yeah. Like,
0: it's not the same thing as, like, Rondell Moore, who's been great in camp, you know, beating up on the Cardinals corners. Like, he's beating up on the Miami corners, which is one of the best secondaries in the league, and he's murdering them, like, every single practice. I'd, I'd be curious. I I didn't look to see what he did against the Bears' beleaguered secondary, but uh, if he practiced I today, <laughs> I wouldn't
1: put any stake in that whatsoever. Uh, yeah,
0: I'm just saying he, it probably wasn't pretty because that's a, that's a different level of talent. Um, let's talk about their UDFA pickups. Uh, really, the main one I want to talk about, other than you know Jerome Johnson, Carl Tucker. Um, this is a name that I I don't recognize actually. Jaitlin Askew? Jaitlin I Askew. Yeah. Askew, I did not watch him. But the the other one that I did watch extensively that I was really excited that they picked up was Robert Jones from Middle Tennessee State. Another one of these guys, uh, you know, favorite of ours at the Senior Bowl should not have gone undrafted. Uh, he played tackle, but you and I both thought that like that that dude's a natural guard because the violence that he hits people with when he pulls, screams guard. Like his ability to kick out a linebacker and not just kick him out, but like bury them. Like that's, he can play tackle, don't get me wrong, but I want him on the inside because of his physicality, because of his ability to just absolutely demolish people with his strength. And he was a priority free agent. And how do I know he was a priority free agent? Because they gave him $100,000 guaranteed. That is not normal for a udfa they wanted that dude they basically said come in here we're going to give you 130k 100 of a guaranteed here's your thirty thousand dollar bonus on top of that come make our team which he probably will make the team because dj fluker uh had like a, a a knee procedure done so he might not even be ready for the start of the year wouldn't be surprised if robert jones makes the roster just from that alone but even if fluker was healthy I think he probably would have made the roster because he's a really, really good football player.
1: Yeah, so we saw this with a couple of guys this year, and I just think the guys from smaller colleges and historically black colleges particularly really got kind of a raw deal this year with COVID. Scouts couldn't travel as much. There were really severe rules about um, in-person visits, and they just couldn't get that level of familiarity uh, with those players, even though they showed out at the Senior Bowl. Robert Jones was one. Again, he's a Middle Tennessee State player. Um, and then David Moore from Grambling, who we just saw get cut from the Patriots and picked up by the Jets because the Jets picked him up on waiver orders. Uh, they had the highest waiver claim. Uh, the bears also submitted a waiver claim, which I actually thought was good news because they could use the help, but a very talented player. These guys didn't get drafted. And there was just a few more questions about them than normal, even though they'd been to the senior all-star game, um, you know, no combine less visits to campus and, um, you just, you haven't seen him for as long. Uh, there's not as much scouting that goes on at a place like middle Tennessee state. Scouts have all been to Auburn. They've all been to Clemson. They've all been to Alabama for years. They have plenty of book and tape on all those guys. Somebody, you know, makes a rise in the last couple of years at Grambling state or, or MTSU, you know, you might have to go back and say, well, no, let's focus on that guy. They couldn't do that this year. So we've seen that, but Robert Jones, they have him listed as a guard. He's sort of in a battle with Solomon Kindley for now. Do I see him sort of being even and, and eventually overtaking that spot with experience? I, I do. they um, have got Robert Hunt uh, on the other side who was, you know, another sort of ass kicker we liked the year before they're building a, a big violent offensive interior line. And it just, it's going to be the core of that team. It's going to keep Tua clean. It reminds me of what uh, New Orleans did in front of Drew for years and a lot of people compared Tua uh, coming out to Drew. And they're building a very similar system where they get these big thumping guards that can absolutely go to the Pro Bowl and aren't letting anybody run up the middle into his face so they can keep him Clean for the quick game, get him those little half rollouts, get him to the outside where his vision's going to be perfect and he's going to throw those quick little strikes. So, just a great pickup with Robert Jones as a UDFA. Uh,
0: one note, by the way, today on that guard battle with Kinley, um, the at least presumed starter for the first part of camp was Eichenberg, who There's been conflicting reports. Either he just absolutely got his ass kicked today and got benched, or he got hurt. We're not entirely sure, but apparently the Bears interior D line was giving Eichenberg some problems today. So Kinley got his shot uh, with
1: the ones after that. But this was was the story of practice between so Bears and and Dolphins. Dolphins went up to Chicago for joint practices. And This was the story of practice, and it was the same on both sides. The Bears have a very good defensive line, and they kicked the ass of the Dolphins' <laughs> offensive line. And Guess what? The Dolphins did the exact same thing to the decimated Bear, well, more than decimated, annihilated Bears line. Um, they had their way with them. It was sack City all day because, again, we talked about the Dolphins' waves of pass rushers running in rotation. They're running against four guys that probably shouldn't be well three and a half guys that shouldn't be starting in the NFL and Cody Whitehair like everybody else is out so they both defensive lines feasted on the opposing offensive line and it kind of threw off the rhythm of practice a little bit because the quarterbacks weren't getting a lot of time to throw
0: yeah for for any Dolphins fans that have not caught up uh, on the at least quote-unquote starting offensive line combination it's Jackson Eichenberg Dieter Hunt and Davis would not be surprised if that changes by next week because it seems like they've been rotating dudes a lot because they have a lot of different guys and they're just trying out different combinations. We'll see what it looks like in a month because I highly doubt it stays the same, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about veteran free agents that they brought in. Uh, Justin Coleman, corner from Detroit that brought in on a one-year deal. Matt Skura, the center from Baltimore, they brought in on a one-year deal. Again, this is the this is the year of one-year deals and mercenary contracts because the cap was all messed up. Uh, Adam Butler, very underrated defensive tackle, uh, coming over from the Patriots. I remember I loved him coming out of Vanderbilt. He was like my day three guy that year along the defensive line because Vandy always seems to have like one one undervalued guy per year. Uh, And Adam Butler was like my dude. And he ended up having a pretty great career in New England. So they brought him over on a two-year deal. Uh, Craven LeBlanc, uh, LeBlanc, excuse me, from Philly. Another one-year deal. John Jenkins still going. At 32, coming over from the Bears. Uh, love to see it. Love, nose tackles age gracefully. I'll say that, man. Like, they can play till they're like 35, 36.
1: He, he said a very interesting thing at the podium the other day. About two days ago, he was, he was at the podium after practice, and he said, they were like, you know, hey, man, you're 32. You've been at this for a while. You had a couple of offers. You could play it anywhere. He said, I won't play for Coach Flow.
0: Yep. Everybody loves, everybody loves Brian Flores. Like, I don't know anybody that's ever said a bad word about Coach Flores. He's he's just an amazing person. Uh, DJ Fluker on a one-year deal. As I mentioned, he had a, a knee procedure recently. I'm not entirely sure what the timetable is for his return, but I do know that there's questions about if he'll be back by week one. Either way, they got a million different guards they're trying out now, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Shaquem Griffin, linebacker and special teams Demon, coming over on a one-year deal from Seattle. they retained Landon Roberts on another one-year contract. Brennan Scarlett, edge setter extraordinaire from Houston, uh very good run defender out on the edge. Duke Riley from Philly, uh, they retained Vince Beagle on a one-year deal, although I don't know, it feels like they're they just have a ton of linebackers there. If there's ever going to be an odd man out, Vince Beagle kind of strikes me as the odd man out there. He's just it's it's not quite the same as like a a, a even an Landon Roberts or a Brennan Scarlett. He's not quite that level. But Hey, whatever it's camp signing um Jacoby Brissett on a one-year deal to be backup quarterback Malcolm Brown uh, Malcolm Brown for 1.8 is super low can't believe they got that uh great deal um like even by running back standards like 1.8 million for running back these days like you look at some of the other running backs making like 12 13 14 million you're getting Malcolm Brown for 1.8 god that's good uh, Will Fuller on a one year $10.6 million deal. He, I would be willing to bet that he's gone after this year because somebody's going to pay Will Fuller a lot more than that after this season. Uh, and then Mac Hollins, star of training camp, apparently, <laughs> one year $1.1 million deal. Uh, Mac Hollins apparently just destroying the Bears' secondary at will today.
1: Yeah, I take that as what you will. Um, being, I'm, I'm 50-50 with that news because I've been a Mac Collins stand. He was the guy that was at UNC with Trubisky, and he stood out to me as a very good all-around football player, kind of in the mold of Robert Woods. Is he the equal of Robert Woods? No, but he's the same kind of guy. He blocks. He makes plays when the ball comes his way um he's able to play a bunch of different wide receiver positions and he was very good on special teams and to me that's that's just a good guy now should he be destroying your secondary if it's the starters no he really shouldn't so I'm kind of 50 50 on that news um but another guy I wanted to mention was Sethan Carter and Sethan Carter was a guy that I got turned on to when he was a tight end in Nebraska and it was because he had a really athletic profile and he was one of those guys at a school that didn't throw to the tight end very much, but on the few plays where he, you know, did get a ball, it was like, Oh, those skills translate. He's bopped around a little bit. He was also a favorite of Matt Waldman, uh, who does the RSP podcast. Uh, Sethan's still out there, made a catch and made a catch in practice the other day. And I was like, a Seaton Carter sighting. He's still in the league. So, um, shout out to Seaton Carter. Uh, but in general, like they stacked up on linebackers. It almost seems like it's like camp arms for linebackers, right? Yeah. Like
0: I look at Vince Beagle versus, I mean, God, let me just read off their depth chart here at linebacker. So we got Jerome Baker, Bernardrick McKinney, Andrew Van Ginkle, Duke Riley, Brennan Scarlett, uh, like, uh, no, Calvin Munson is like third string for them. Shaq Griffin. Landon Roberts is on the pup right now. Like they got like nine linebackers. Yeah. There's no way they all make the team.
1: No, they're stacking them up deep and, uh, they're, they're going to be sorting through them. Uh, but, um, Craven LeBlanc is a a former bear, uh, went to Philadelphia, made a play. He was one of those guys that was just dogged. He would make plays. Um, it's never really probably good. He he was like just below starter level. Um, maybe maybe your fourth corner as a if you're counting that as a starter not really um but he's only 27 again you get him for 999,000. um not even a million dollar deal so I, again you just see Chris Greer like backing up every possible dependency like if we lose an offensive lineman hey we got three more guards if we lose or we just need to rotate linebackers in the heat I got nine of those guys um, you know, I got backup corners. I got this. I got that. I got backup running backs. Again, you said for a crazy deal like Malcolm Brown, again bring something that is is not what they have in their their top two running backs. So just balancing the roster. You know, are they all gonna make the team? Absolutely not. Did he? Is that gonna hurt them? No. These are all million dollar deals. Like how many of these are a million or less? Like Will Fuller was ten and. Uh, Adam Butler was seven. Everybody else is a million or less. I mean, Matt Scurro was 1.75, but like everybody else is basically a million something or less. This is not big investment. This is, I need these guys to fill roles. And in a down cap year, I can do it for this much money. Just it's, it's solid GMing, right? He's covering all the bases.
0: And I think at the, at the cap number right now, like, anything less than 2 million is like a fraction of a percent of the total cap like it's it's nothing it's it's absolutely nothing so man this this dolphins offseason has been spectacular they filled holes in free agency they had a tremendous draft they got udfa value uh, you know they have stability in the organization with a great gm and you know a, a oc and other oc at dc and assistant head like all their coordinators they've all been together for at least three years with a front oh. office. That's been together for six, all the talent in the world, you know, second year quarterback, trying to take that year two leap. Everything's coming up like just a, 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 a for me. Like it's, yeah. it's, a, it's I really want to see how season. they play
1: against Buffalo at this point. Like that's the bit,
0: when right? is that Buff- game.
1: Let's Buffalo see. is the Buffalo's the top dog. They, You know, took the division by storm last year, by force, if you want to call it that, Uh, marched right on through the playoffs. Oh, man,
0: their first two games are at New England and then hosting Buffalo. Buffalo.
1: Yeah, we're going to get a that, good
0: idea what the AFC East is like by the end of September.
1: Eh, first two weeks. Yeah, first two weeks are always interesting because everybody's sorting it out and you get a lot of what I call false positives in the first couple of weeks. People crazily react to, oh, no, the Dolphins blew out the Patriots in week one. Maybe like it doesn't mean their season's going to be great. I want to see in the home and home series with Buffalo, those divisional games, How do they do? Because that's the measuring stick right now. If the Dolphins blow out the Jets, hey, they've had longer to get ready, right? They've had longer to stack talent. They've had their coaches together for longer. I would say, okay, like Jets have a lot of talent, but you blew them out of the water. Probably won't next year, but you did this year. Okay, fine. Like if the Dolphins play the Bills tough, get a good split or are in both of those games down to the final minutes... The Dolphins are on track, right? They're going to have to beat the Bills to win the division. Um, you know, they're going to have to win all their division games, but as many as they can. But the Bills are really the sort of yardstick, right? If they go up to Buffalo and get blown out by Josh Allen and Brian Dable and, and all those guys we talked about at the top of the podcast, it, they still got work to do. It's no different than trying to climb, you know, the mountain and beat New England for all those years. If you can't knock off the top team in your own division, It's going to be a tough road to the playoffs in the AFC, right? So the Dolphins measuring stick is how do they do in the home and home against Buffalo?
0: You know what their other measuring stick is (laughs) week five. You know, what's week five. You're going to tell me Tampa.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got to play well against, got to play well against top competition. There's no better competition in the league right now than Tampa again, because their roster is rock solid um obviously they have Brady they're coming off a Super Bowl victory like there there's no better yardstick and I I bet Flores has that game circled he's looking forward to it if you're coaching the NFL you want to compete right but it'll be really interesting if they give Tampa a really good game even if they don't win it right if they win it great like that's a pretty clear symbol uh but even if they're in that game down, you know, it, it comes down to a field goal and Tampa wins it in the last couple of minutes uh, you played the world champs to a field goal, basically to a draw. Yeah. Those, yeah.
0: You're absolutely right on the road too. Like their, their first five weeks are a meat grinder, dude. It's at new England, hosting Buffalo at Vegas, hosting the Colts. Uh, like, and then, and then on the road to Tampa, like that's, yeah, that's Colts a hell only- hell of a start.
1: Yeah. Colts might be the only, only game that they're, well, clearly favored. It really depends on the quarterbacking situation and um, the Colts are dealing with some early season injuries that might make that game a little quote unquote easier than it looks yeah, on paper. I don't know, man, that, that the rest though. of that Yeah. The rest of that schedule is not, uh, that's not an, that's not a cupcake start, right? If we're talking about the college <laughs> season, no, no cupcakes on that first month. So um, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how they buck up, how Tua plays, um, and and just how they all employ that talent and, and really try and win their own division because that's the easiest road to the playoffs.
0: Why don't we talk about uh, some of these AFC East players that you and I are going to be drafting heavily on an uh, underdog fantasy this year. Now, underdog is best ball for those of you that are not familiar. I know we have a lot, uh, kind of a, a shifting audience for all these episodes because we get a whole bunch of you know, AFC North fans that listen to the AFC North episode. We get AFC East fans that listen to the AFC episode. So some of you might not be familiar with underdog fantasy, which has been our sponsor all summer long. And if you don't know underdog, they specialize in best ball formats. And what that means is that regardless of who is on your roster in any given week, like you don't have to try to guess on, you know, which jets running back to start. You don't have to get screwed over by injuries and, you know, the concept of a handcuff like doesn't even exist on your roster, whichever running backs get the most points every single week. That's the ones you're going to get credit for whichever receivers get the most points every single week. That's what you're going to get credit for. The actual platform itself calculates what your most ideal lineup is after all the points are tallied. And those are the points you get. So you get credit for being really good at drafting and really good at offseason preparation, which is what this series of episodes is all about is off season preparation and knowing each team inside and out. So these are all of the best players. We have three each from the AFC East that we specifically want for underdog fantasy, because we think they fit the bill for producing in a best ball format. Now, my number one for obvious reasons is Jalen Waddle, who we just got done talking with uh, talking about with the Miami Dolphins. Why is that? Because even though he's a rookie, that might have an explosive week one week and an off week another week like maybe you know will fuller gets a bunch of targets maybe Gaseki gets a bunch of targets maybe miles gaskin catches 15 balls and has you know a week where he channels his inner james white which he absolutely could do i'm not going to get burned for having a two-point performance from Jalen waddle but i am going to get the credit for the thirty five point performance from Jalen Waddle, which, if there are any rookie receivers that are capable of that, it's Jalen Waddle because time he touches the ball can be an 80 yard touchdown. that's why I want him. It's not just for the consistency, it's for the peaks that I think he can have because Waddle by himself is so explosive that he could win me my week.
1: Uh, yup. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you for the, the spirited analysis. <laughs> uh, you know, we talked a lot about him. We talked about him in the run-up to the draft. He has not slowed... The only thing that slowed him down was the ankle injury. He he showed incredible toughness trying to play through it. When he's healthy, he is as explosive as a player as there is in the league. Like, And I mean that for veteran players, rookie players. I'm not just saying as explosive as any rookie i'm saying as explosive as any player in league he has that kind of speed burst ability to break games so yes if there's a player that could have large flashes and get you points in bunches it's waddle now he already has a little bit of a head start because he played with tua right hmm so they they know they, each they, other, they right? know each other yeah That chemistry matters, and it showed up early in Dolphins camp that he's, again, being featured despite just getting there. So, no, Jalen Waddell has the absolute ability to break open games, and I think we're going to see it sooner than later. We always say, oh, but he's a rookie. Yeah, rookie production for wide receivers is generally less than their veteran counterparts, but there's always a couple, right? There was Justin Jefferson last year. He didn't produce like a rookie. (laughs) He, he produced like a top 10 wide receiver in the league, right? There's always a couple. And uh, if I had to put money down, I would put Waddle up near the top of the rookie class in terms of who I think is going to have the potential for producing, I would say, much more like a veteran. Um, yeah, Waddle would be damn near the top of that list, especially with the way he's being featured already um, just you know, a few weeks into camp, so... Um, my first is a veteran, not a rookie. And it's Stefan Diggs because Stefan Diggs uh, is a tremendous talent. He's basically a top five receiver in in the league. This is not a value pick. This isn't somebody you're going to be digging out in the later rounds. This is somebody you're taking right up top as your primary producer. Because again, it's a great relationship with Josh Allen. Brian Dable understands how to get him the ball. And Buffalo went out and got him specifically for that role last year and used him as such. Like they went out and said, this is our plan. And then they executed that plan and it worked beautifully. So Diggs is going to be the major driver of a fantasy team, best ball or otherwise. But if he has a few down weeks and he did last year, You probably get the points from your other wide receivers. But on those weeks when he's putting up 21, 25, 30 points, those big, you know, those two touchdown weeks from Josh Allen, which he had a bunch of, yeah, you're getting all those points. So he's going to be your lead dog. He is not going to be somebody you dig out of later rounds, but he's worth taking because he will continue to produce. There's no reason to think he'll slack off in that offense or that they'll suddenly just feature him a whole lot less.
0: Yeah, when in doubt, if you don't know who to pick in the back half of the first round, just take Stephon Diggs because you're, like, the floor there is obscenely high. Like, he's, it's almost, like, automatic he's going to be good. It's like taking Devontae Adams. Like, you can't go wrong. Like, just take him. Um, My number two is Nelson Aguilar. A little bit more of a risk factor than Stephon Diggs, that's for sure. But uh, I think when I look at this Patriots receiving core and I try to project, like, okay, who is the explosive option in the Patriots receiving core? I think it's going to be Nelson Aguilar. Like, and that's kind of like the, the same role that he played for the Raiders too. Like again, the catch rate, it's better than it was in Philly. Um, but like when he, he still has the ability to get behind a defense. Like he's not slow at all. He still has that, that speed when he came out of USC, like he was legitimately a great deep threat as a prospect. Still a great route runner. It's just I think some of his faults have been with the actual catching part of the equation (laughs) throughout his career. But that seems to have gotten a little bit better as time has gone on. And so when I look at this Patriots offense, I still feel like he's going to be that, you know, kind of explosive, deep threat kind of role. And these are the kinds of receivers that can thrive for you in best ball because you know what? If he has an off week, fine, whatever. But if Cam hits him like twice, He's getting eighty yards and a touchdown, and there's my fifteen points. You know, so I think it's absolutely worth taking him. You know, probably like mid to late, is, is, I'd say, is where he's going. Like probably like around eleventh round is where I typically see him go. Like you're you're solid there. Like he could he could pop off for you
1: any given week and give you a lot of
0: good production.
1: Yeah, and I love that pick for best ball because. Look, New England is going to do whatever it takes to win that week. Bill is the master of the malleable game plan. If he comes out and sees that you're soft against the run, they're giving their lead back 35 carries. That yeah. <laughs> Right? Which never happens in the NFL. And the next week, maybe they go empty 80% of the time because your corners are hurt, and that's the week that Nelson goes off, right? So you're not going to be suffering through those weeks going, man, they only targeted him four times and he only caught two of them. Why did I start him? And then you go, I'm not starting him again. And he goes out, gets three catches and a touchdown, but it's 110 yards.
0: Yeah, the old Sammy Watkins special, you start him for five weeks and get nothing, (laughs) and then the second you bench him, he goes off.
1: Now you don't have to worry about that. So I love (laughs) that pick, and I love the value, right, that you're getting him after the 10th, as you're rounding out your wide receiver core, which is a very solid strategy and underdog, right? Getting that that middle chunk of wide receivers and just getting a bunch of guys, he has the potential to contribute. Plus, he doesn't have a lot of other competition on that roster for that role, right? When you yeah. look at their wide receiver core, it's like Jacoby Myers and like, mm, Aguilar's probably
0: second. Um, yeah, N- Nikhil Harry's not playing that role. No, it's not what he does. Like, look at the like Kendrick Bourne not yeah, playing that role like,
1: last year. It was Demir Bird, who's now a bear. Yeah. And he was that guy that would have the streaky deep catches and use his speed to sort of extend Cam's arm a little bit. Now, like, Aguilar doesn't have competition for that role. Like, if somebody's going to get it, it's going to be him as long as he stays healthy. So. Great pick for best ball. I'm going to stay on the Pats theme and go with Jonu Smith. And you might say, mm. Mm, EJ, like John Smith, he doesn't have a ton of production. He's not going to get me a ton of points. Well, Jonu Smith is a tight end, uh, unlike the Patriots have had in a while. Right, you have to go back a ways to look for a sort of small, smaller, faster tight end that can get down the field and. He's going to fill that role for him. Is he going to be productive every week? No. There are absolutely, we just talked about this with Belichick. There are weeks that he's not going to get very many looks. And then there are weeks where Cam's going to throw him some underneath routes. He's going to bust coverage because he's fast enough and he's going to go 35 or 40 yards, and you're going to get all those points. Um, Again, he doesn't really have any competition. Hunter Henry's there. Hunter Henry has always struggled with staying healthy. And Hunter Henry doesn't have the speed that O Smith does. So he brings a different element to that offense. Um, You know, in terms of his overall totals for this season, probably not great. Is he going to win you two or three weeks because you were struggling to pick up a tight end that week? And hey, guess what? You had Johnny Smith on your roster. And that was the week that he got three catches, 80 yards, maybe no touchdown but that's pretty good production from a tight end that's not named Kelsey, Waller, (laughs) or Kittle. Yeah, there's only so many of those guys to go around. So those guys that have a a mid-level production, but also he knows how to score when he gets the ball in his hands. He had 41 total catches last year at eight touchdowns.
0: Yeah, because his yak work- ability is just I- insane.
1: Work that ratio out. Eight out of 41. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's better than almost anybody in the league. And you're like, mm-hmm. So when he gets it, he can take it to the house. So you're going to get a couple extra you know, points, typically. You're not just going to get the yards. This guy can put it in the end zone. And honestly, I think his numbers go up because Henry hasn't been terribly reliable. And then if you're going to Johnny Smith, Belichick's going to pivot. Right. He's going to, he's going to split him out wide. He's going to do all the things that Johnny Smith can do. We're going to see his value rise a little bit. And right now, what's, what's Johnny Smith's ADP? <laughs> uh, super low. Yeah, you, yeah. This is a guy you can get if you haven't picked up your, you know, you picked up one tight end, but now you've waited 10 rounds and you're looking and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Johnny Smith's there. I think I can pick up some free points. Let's do it.
0: Uh, My third is well, we both have Jets rookies as our third. Uh, My Jets rookie is Michael Carter, who, uh, like I said before, again, might have a a pretty heavy carry split with Tevin Coleman to start, but you're going to start seeing as the season goes on more touches, more touches, more touches. And then we're going to get to December and he's going to get like 20 touches in a game and 20 touches with somebody who is that efficient with the ball in their hands, like in terms of like yards per touch, he's going to break them and he's going to have a big, big game. Probably right about when your fantasy playoffs are. And so like, regardless of format, I'm drafting Michael Carter in every single format, but especially in best ball, because in the games that matter the most in the weeks that
1: matter the most, he's going to absolutely explode for you. Yeah, and he's a two-way threat. We talked about this, that he is a better runner than you think he is for his size. He also runs inside. Yes, they're going to run outside zone, but he can run between the tackles, which is a bit surprising for a guy of his build, but he does it pretty well. He's shifty. He kind of hides behind his blockers, and then he can explode because he has good power. But those little dump-off passes, I'm telling you, you know, a lot of times those are three, four, five, six yard gains with him. A lot of times they're seven, eight, 10, 15 yard gains because he'll break it. He's that kind of shifty. So he's going to get, like you said, maybe not that many straight up carries in the first part of the season, but he yeah. is going to get those. He is going to get those receptions. They're going to count as touches because I think he's a better receiver than Coleman. That's why I'm saying touches specifically because oh, sure. it's
0: so easy <laughs> to fall into the trap of like well brett say he's gonna get 20 carries. you know how many running backs get 20 carries these days like three maybe yeah one average for the season yeah like we want touches especially an underdog with just half point ppr so you are gonna get credit for catches that's why eckler's valuable that's why mccaffrey's valuable that's why anybody Eckler, camara Eckler went
1: crazy early in the draft you did with josh Norris and hayden I, I wasn't surprised by that because, like... I know. Neither were they. But, like, he went, like, what, back half of the first or top of the second? Uh, Yeah, I think he went, like, 11th, 11th yeah. or 12th. He, he somewhere went around there. early, and I was like, okay. So, yeah. Michael Carter is not that much different than Eckler. I'm not saying he's at Eckler's level or going to have Eckler-like production as a rookie on the Jets, but he's not that far off. Like, I don't hate that comp.
0: Yeah, I mean, skill set. Well, like Eckler might, might be a little bit better in terms of contact balance. Because um, like, he's like a weeble wobble. It's weird kind of like how he stays up through contact sometimes. But in terms of like raw speed, like once he does break loose, like Carter's different, man. Like he's, he's got juice. Uh, now tell me, regale me one last time. One last time for your favorite rookie of all time <laughs>
1: uh, i don't know about that but this year it's hard to beat elijah moore and you talked about breakoff speed we talked about the fact that he carves up defenses he does it in so many different ways um he ha- he's an incredible route runner called him a surgeon um called his feet scalpels like he he literally carves defenses because he's incredibly accurate with his feet he is very explosive does not struggle catching the ball. He's not one of those guys that's very athletic but drops a bunch, very low drop rate and tremendous yak ability. We talked about it with your first player, Jalen Waddle, like from the slot, from outside, uh jet sweeps we saw him used on a lot in college, um, which are certainly all the rage in the NFL. He can handle all of those types of touches. Again, we're just gonna call them touches. Um, and he can do something with him. If you miss, He's picking up a bunch of yards, if not taking it all the way, because he has that kind of speed. Um, he has a build that'll hold up in the NFL. He is not a spindly guy. Um, he can take contact over the middle if he needs to, but he's just one of those guys that every time he catches it, you better be right there. And if you're not, he's going to make you pay.
0: Yeah, he's... God, I think Surgeon was probably your best best word to describe him. Well, my favorite oh, thing
1: about... My favorite measuring stick for Elijah Moore was how he did against all the top corners in this draft. Yeah. You get success against all of them. Horn, Sertan.
0: Yeah, all of them.
1: Yeah, so the Horn one was... JC Horn was really interesting because Horn won some of those reps and Moore won some of those reps, but it was clean on both sides. The reps that Elijah Moore won... He toasted J.C. Horn. You didn't see very many people do that. And look, Moore played against all of them, right? Played against can. He played against Just all the top corners. He had success against every single one of them. And that's when you kind of look back and go, hey, these are the top four or five corners that go in the draft. And, oh, man, he had yards against all of them. There wasn't like, oh, J.C. Horn, that's the game you want to watch more because he shut him down for no catches on seven to no. Mm-mm, still had production. Um, so you know, those are the very best guys going for coverage in this draft. He can, he can win. He can win off the line against press. He can win with motion. He can win with speed. He can win with routes. Um, he's very good at settling down on his own if he's lucky enough to see his own, uh, or, or more zone in the pros. Um, but he's not going to be one of those guys that, like, oh, it's man. Oh, now I can't play the game I played in college. I'm going to struggle. Like, Good luck jamming him off the line. Um, Yeah, he's got all the skills. He's
0: he's going to produce early. It's like the anti Nikhil Harry. Who it's like, oh man, I don't (laughs) I don't get to
1: (laughs) totally different guy. (laughs) I
0: don't I don't get to just like run a hitch underneath a a deep third corner and cover three and get a free catch. What? How do I win? All of a sudden, like not Elijah Moore is like I I got pressed by a top ten pick and then another top ten pick and I was able to get off press and catch the ball way the fuck behind him. Like, he's he's special, man. He's just special. Uh, Let's talk about best and worst for the division. Um, And and we've said this this about a bunch of different divisions, but I I especially think it's true for this one. The word worst does not apply to the Jets because they happen to be in a very good division with three other great teams. It's kind of like even more than the Bengals with the North where it's like, man, we can't call the Bengals like a terrible team just because they happen to be in a division with three really good ones. I think the jets are even better than the Bengals. They just happen to have to play against the bills, Patriots and, and, uh, and dolphins six times this year. So it's just, it's a product of the division they're in. I don't think they're going to be in that, you know, top five pick in the draft territory again this year. I I do not envision them being one of the five worst teams in the NFL. I can name five off the top of my head that I think are worse teams than them. So again, will they be above 500 in this division? That's tough to say. Will they at least be around 500? Yes,
1: I believe they will be. Yeah. I I really don't see the jets as like a four win team this year. They just, with, Yeah, they're going to have their learning curve. Yeah, they have a rookie quarterback, and rookie quarterbacks typically struggle. Um, You know, even Justin Herbert, we used him last year. Like, He had an amazing rookie year, broke all kinds of rookie quarterbacking records, and the Chargers won seven games last year, right? So don't think Zach Wilson's probably going to have that kind of year as, I would say, an equal... Not quite equal level of talent, but, you know, I'd say they're going to be somewhere between that four games and 500. Um, Does that, you know, does that mean they're going to be better than Miami? I don't think so. (laughs) Does it mean they're going to be better than New England? I don't think so. Bill knows how to win football games and he's going to bounce back. And Buffalo, we already talked about. They returned the entire coaching staff. They still have Josh Allen. They really haven't lost any of their major weapons um, and they've added some pieces. So I think Buffalo's the class of the division. I'm going to say that Buffalo comes out on top, and I'd say that the Jets, again, not the worst, but most likely to come in fourth, I think is probably the best way to put it.
0: Yeah, and, and you and I have a disagreement on who we think is going to come in first, weirdly enough. Uh, I happen to have the Dolphins at the top. You happen to have the Bills at the top. I think there's arguments to be made either way, sure. which is why week two going to be fascinating because I think that's going to set the tone for the rest of the season. When do
1: they play again? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. Let me look. Um, because I don't put a ton mm, of stock in the first two weeks for anybody because Halloween. Ooh, that'll be fun. Yeah. It's still so pretty early uh, comparatively to have your you know, second and last game against a division rival. But um, that one's at Buffalo. Yeah, that one's going to be fun. It's going to start. It's going to be frost on the pumpkin weather. It's going to be starting to get cold. Um, But again, week one, week two, so many weird things happen. So many weird results. I call them false positives. Everybody freaks out every year over week one, week two results. And then things start to settle, right? By the end of the first month, you're like, okay. We've, we've kind of reverted to the norms we thought were coming or, oh no, they're four and like we can't, we can't just say it was lucky the first two weeks, right? Whatever it is. But that second one, especially when you got tape on somebody, you've seen a bunch of games, you played them once. I want to see the second game. So that game on Halloween is going to be a real interesting matchup. And it's going to go a long way, I think, towards determining the division, you know, unless something crazy happens in either of those teams or really any team in this division loses their starting quarterback. I don't think, you know, maybe New England would be in the best spot for that if Cam went down and, and Mac comes up and plays pretty well. I'd, I'd say, you know, backup quarterback-wise. Trubisky maybe is, you know, a decent, you know, at least you can run the same offense. He's not going to be as effective. But other than something like that, I think that game on Halloween is going to be a really good indicator of like, okay, where's the power in the division
0: and the NFL, you know, they really know what they're doing when it comes to scheduling because the last three games for the dolphins at saints at Titans hosting Patriots. And like, that's, that's tough because I I have to imagine the saints are going to get Michael Thomas back by then which all of a sudden that's a different saints team than they have Michael Thomas at Titans. Like we just talked extensively a couple weeks ago about how much we like what the Titans did and you know, yeah. where their rosters at like you're adding Julio, like they added a whole bunch of pieces on defense. Like that's going to be a good team. That's a road game probably for playoff seating. And then you're hosting the Patriots who would love nothing more than to pay them back for the Miami miracle and completely shift can their season in week 18 like that's that's a hell of a stretch to close out the season it's it's going to be a
1: fun year i i can't wait Um, uh there's there's a lot of fun games and this is a fun division i i'm you know i know fans have been extremely patient with us getting around to this because when we announced how we were doing it which is the reverse of how we did it last year the realization came pretty quick to to folks on the east coast that were like oh wait But I'm a Jets fan. Like, you're not going (laughs) to talk about them till like August. Like, mm, yeah, that's true. But hopefully, it was worth the wait. Hopefully, uh, we shed some light on some things that you might not have thought about with either this podcast or, you know, if you like this one, go check out all the others. Um, We've had some, I don't know, I've gotten some tremendously nice compliments from folks in the business talking about the value uh of the of this series overall. Um one of them said for my money, that's the best content going for the off season because uh this is somebody that works for a team and they said, Hey, I have to focus on my team anymore. I can't focus on the whole league. So if I want to see the sort of lay of the land outside my building, I listen to your stuff. And I was like, Ooh, oh okay. That's that's a really Makes me feel nice, good yeah that's a I really like that. nice compliment. I'll take that. So we hope you've gathered just as much from it. Um Thanks so much for all the comments, the interactions, the suggestions. Uh, best and worst was a fan suggestion that we got after week one. And we've done it every week. So can't thank you for all the engagement. Our numbers have been tremendous. You guys have carried us through the entire offseason on what I would call is a high. Um, so keep it up. Uh, we can only imagine the heights we're gonna get to. We got some nice surprises coming up this season that we've already cooked up and a few more sort of uh on the, on the back burner that might come to the front burner a little sooner, so watch for that. Um, head to the bootleg store, uh, bootlegfootballpodcast.com. Pick up a T-shirt or mug or a beer glass because we've got those two. Hoodies for when it starts to get cold. We talked about a little frost on the pumpkin weather. Um, check all that stuff out, but can't thank you enough for all the support through the entire offseason. Going to now pivot to keeping up with some of the news because so much of it is coming out of camp um every day and then really just roll right into the season we'll have more fantasy content for you as well we'll be doing some stuff specifically for underdog as we roll through august here and really round out those drafts hope to get you into best ball mania so that you can be eligible for that million dollar top prize um lots and lots of good stuff coming so uh don't look away it's just getting good yeah we got a lot a lot
0: more Coming on the bootleg football podcast this season, uh more than we've ever done. So keep an eye out for everything that we're releasing pretty soon here. Uh hopefully, hopefully, again, fingers crossed, two episodes a week at some point. We're trying to get there. We're we're making some moves nah. to try to I'm, I'm just saying, we're trying to get. I mean, obviously we can't do it when they're three hours long. <laughs> you know when we're releasing like the hateful I mean, eight every week. I honestly week, think but,
1: that counts as three episodes in a week because most I mean, podcasts are less than an hour. So I think we should get credit. Um,
0: yeah, we really gotta like figure out. A, maybe, maybe we do like one episode per team next summer and just kind of roll them out that you way. Realize
1: that they'll all be two hours long. It'll, yeah, just but get, not, it'll just it's not longer. like our listeners will
0: complain
1: no they, <laughs> they never love that shit they never have so we we appreciate everybody uh you all letting us know because i was just talking to somebody about that earlier that um you know when we started this podcast we really we were just sort of going by industry norms and people were telling us like can't go over an hour nothing hour and ten's the max and we were like oh, okay <laughs> And, you know, that was kind of the rule. And I remember the first time we got up to like two hours and we were all apologetic. we were like, oh, we're so sorry. And everybody even like in the comments, there was a universal theme and it was more <laughs> M-O-A-R. Don't apologize. Shut up. More content. And we were like, dude, we just did a two hour podcast and they're saying more. Like that's just got to be the crazies. That's got to be the crazy hardcores. Nobody listens to that. And the numbers kept going up. And we kept pushing it. And then we eventually got to a three-hour podcast when we're trying to talk about four teams and everything they did in the offseason. And people, you, you're all still just absolutely batshit for it. And we once we,
0: uh, once we did a nine-hour live stream and we had people there for all nine hours, I realized that our audience is a little bit insane. It's just <laughs>
1: different. I'm just going to say different than the industry average because we were literally told that will never fly. You cannot do it no one will listen and we've continued to do it and more and longer and more people are listening every week so um can't thank you all enough for being as committed and uh, as nutty as you are so thanks for coming along on the ride it's been a ton of fun we will see you all back here next week with uh
0: for the first time in a couple months something else (laughs) until then (laughs) we'll see you guys later Take care. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered Internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, Yes, go! or attending one live, oh!